like D&D fuels their imagination and makes them feel special while drawing them deeper and deeper into the bowels of El Diablo. Observe the previously unobservable. I'm attacking the darkness! (laughs) (laughs) Roll the dice to see if I'm getting drunk! Yeah, you are! Are there any girls there? Yeah! Anyone can play. I don't really know the rules. (laughs) Listen, there aren't any rules. It's a game of the imagination. Oh, okay. This is your character sheet. Your name is Titania. I don't know what any of this stuff means. I'll help you. I'm the dungeon master. I control worlds, universes. Okay, you guys can talk to each other now if you want. Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of DC Roleplaying, the Hero Points Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, with the motivation of thrill of adventure. Along with me is my co-host, Siskoid, with the motivation of responsibility of power. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. <laughs> so, uh, it's, yeah, it's been, uh, it's like, oh, it's been years. It's, uh... <laughs> By the time you listen to this, it'll be a little more than a year since the last episode, which also means this is the first episode that's officially on the Fire and Water Network. That's true. Yeah, since we since we spoke last, we did, in fact, I listened back to the beginning of it. We did say Fire and Water Podcast Network, but it really wasn't launched. We didn't have the website. We didn't have everything. Yeah, at this point, folks, we are fully integrated into the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The Hero Points Podcast actually has its own iTunes feed now. It has a whole whopping, as you listen to it, four episodes out there now. <laughs> And uh, and we freely cop to this, folks. This is probably going to be, for the most part, an annual show. You know, so far we cranked out an episode in 2013, 2014, 2016, and now 2017. You know, we kind of have an, our eye on putting out another show this year, but I don't want to make any promises. Now, this is the first time you've stumbled across this show, because maybe you're a Justice League fan, and we'll get to the point of the show in just a second. Uh, the point of this podcast is to celebrate the DC role-playing game from Mayfair. It's specifically DC Heroes. And uh, Siskoid and I, we're more, we're not really like number crunchy kind of guys. We're more about in, interested in focusing on the nostalgia, less than the technical. So this is going to be a really good podcast for maybe the lapsed gamer or someone who's not quite so hung up on being a rules lawyer. Now, Siskoid, when you're with your gaming friends, would you consider yourself a rules lawyer? Are you, are you that guy? No, I, I love freewheeling kind of play. I'm a, what they call a, a narrativist. Ah, okay. <laughs> so right. it's more it's more about telling the story and doing crazy things and it being memorable uh, and catering to the characters and subplots and uh, making it feel like it's actually a comic book that you could read. In in the case of superhero gaming, you know, I'll, I give the players a lot of latitude when it comes to to the rules. I really. My players are the same. I've only really have one main player who loves the nitty gritty of it, and he loves figuring out the math so you can min max his character, and that's part of the fun for him. So I, I let him do it. Way to go, Fern. Way to go. That's not Fern. <laughs> now you know it's interesting, and, and, and what I'm about to say is a bit like cheating on your girlfriend. But I'm actually in a role playing, a superhero role playing group right now, which is not DC Heroes. And I just want to take a second to mention it, though, because we're talking about game systems that don't have a lot of crunch. We're doing a game system called Prowlers and Paragons, and it's from Lakeside Games. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we found it on DriveThruRPG, and it's a very, very non-crunch game. A lot of the, you know, very simple rules, not a lot of specialties, not a lot of, like, you know, 
modifiers and things like that. It's just kind of this is the way you roll it, and there's a whole lot of narration, and you describe how the scene flows. It's a lot of fun, so it works well for me as a non-crunch gamer. I'm super happy for you that you found finally a group you could play with. You know, it's one of those things like we've been we've been getting together now for about two months. We've probably had about four or five gaming sessions, so I consider at least successfully launched. You know, will it last? I don't. We've already got players fading in and out, so I just don't know. We'll have to see what happens. I, you know, when we do the episode in 2018, <laughs> you can ask me again how we're, how the game's doing. As I said, it's sort of like cheating on my girlfriend. We should be talking about Mayfair Games DC Heroes, and um, you know, there, there are places out there for people who love the game system besides waiting for us for a year. Obviously, some of these products you can find in bargain bins and in the used section of the of your uh, local comic store game store but you can find a lot of that stuff online as well there's the um the system itself dc heroes rpg has both a facebook and a google plus page uh there's writeups.org which is an impressive collection of character stats uh, developed by fans and uh, people who actually helped design the game in the first place uh, who own the game now and uh you'll find not just dc heroes on there but Marvel heroes, wrestlers, uh, you know, vid- yeah, video game characters, uh, all sorts, and they're written up a, a bit more in more detail than uh, DC Heroes used to give us as well. Yeah, that's writeups.org. Well, they're using Blood of Heroes, which was the evolution, like third or fourth edition of this. Uh, and so, and there's a little more to it, let's say. Some blogs do talk about it. Fire, Firestorm fan did articles on the Firestorm related content, of course. Cisco's blog of Geekeries uh, talked about it, of course. And we're just talking about my own blogs. We both participated in Mayfairstivis, uh, along with a lot of other blogs. And the whole point was talking about the characters and their stats in the DC Heroes game. And more recently, I did a, an episode of Dial G for Gamer with Dr. G, uh, Man of Nerdology, at, at Pulp to Pixels Podcasts. And so I, I keep saying that wrong. It's Pulp to Pixel Podcasts. <laughs> there's a single pixel. Pulp to Pixel <laughs> Podcasts. Uh, and uh, we talked. I didn't talk about DC Heroes, though. I talked about GURPS Supers, but we are planning, some of us are planning a uh, head-to-head between DC Heroes and Marvel Superheroes, those two systems. So that should be coming up sometime this year. Fingers right? crossed. Fingers, it, fingers crossed, and it's supposed to be here on the Hero Points Network. See, I didn't want to make many promises, but you were just putting it out there, brother. So now we're on the hook for it. So, uh, Dal G for Gamer did an excellent episode just a little while back. You can find it. It's Pulse of Pixel, podcast number 48, Dial G for Gamer, episode number three, where Dr. G sat down with David Gallagher, comic book professional, and they went through and talked about the Marvel role-playing game, or as you call it, Face Rip, and they did a great job just really celebrating the, the Marvel system, had a lot of fun with it, and that was sort of like the precursor, where it's the, or the counterpoint to Hero Points, and then we're all supposed to come together and have a head-to-head, and uh, Cisco is trying to wile his way out of it, but I'm not going to let him, folks. We're going to strap him in and make him be part of it. And that's why you wrote that copy for me to read. Uh- <laughs> Not at all. None of that is listed here at all. <laughs> you took us down that blind alley, sir. But I will say, uh, going back for just a second, one of the first places you mentioned was the Meg's DC Heroes RPG group. They're both on Facebook and Google+. And I just discovered them recently, and those guys were so nice, uh, very welcoming. Uh, they, they throw a lot of questions up there. Who's doing what with the system, or where do you find stuff? And I, I just was really impressed with that. So that's M-E-G-S, DC Heroes RPG. Great, great groups. Check those out as well. 
And this is, in, in one way as well, you, you know, a part of your Justice League International Wahaha podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, in a way, be, it's a tie-in, it's, it's a crossover. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the Justice League source book, folks. And this book was published in 1990, right at the height of the popularity of the Wahaha Justice League. So, in many ways, you could actually consider this an episode of my podcast. I do a show called Justice League International Wahaha Podcast, and this could almost be episode ten and a half. So uh, we'll be doing a little cross-pollination with the promotion and let the folks that listen to that show know about this one. And speaking of which, if you want, folks, if you want to participate in the conversation, if you want to leave us comments, if you want to share your thoughts on this uh, source book or anything we've been talking about, please visit our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash hero points. You'll find episode number four there. You'll be able to leave comments, tell us your thoughts again, uh, tell us you know what characters you enjoyed playing, or if you ever role-played the group, or all the modules you bought and never got a chance to play, which is me. <laughs> it's to leave any kind of comments there. Or you can visit us on Facebook as the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We're also on Twitter, um, and our handle there is FW Podcasts. And our email address is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. So any of those places would be great to leave your feedback. And once we get through talking about the source book, we're actually going to read your feedback from the previous episode. So it'll be a little bit like going back in time, because it's all a year old. In the meantime, though, we do need to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the Hero Points Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Siskoid? Well, I since we're talking about the Justice League of America, and I'm going to let you do all the JLI stuff. I'll be doing the older Just League of America, Just League Detroit stuff. Uh, I chose something that celebrated those years. And so uh, Justice League of America hereby elects is a trade paperback mm. that, yeah, it's got all the stories where the membership of the world's mightiest supergroup changes, basically. So every time somebody joins, I love tryout stories, you know, stories where uh, there's a new member and there he goes through, you know, has to jump through some hoops, perhaps, especially in the Silver Age. It's always like some sort of hazing ritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this has Justice League of America number 4, 75, 105 to 106, uh, etc. It's basically whenever Green Arrow, Black Canary, Elongated Man, Red Tornado, Hog Girl, Zatanna, and Black Lightning have to prove they have what it takes to join the JLA. Uh, normally, that would cost you $14.99 on uh, in-stock trades. It's only $8.24, uh, 45% off. Nice. Well, my pick, as as Siskoid alluded, is Justice League International, specifically volume number four. And the reason I picked that one is that is the latest volume on in-stock trades right now and gets you almost to the point where this source book was written. So it almost dovetails nicely with it. This one collects issues uh, number 23 through 25 of Justice League International. And then when the title changes its name to Justice League of America, it continues on. So 26 through 30. So all in all, you're going to get issues 23 through 30 of that series. You know, writers uh, Keith Giffen and J.M.D. Mateus, art by Kevin McGuire, Mike McCone, Bill Willingham, uh, art. And uh, page counts 192 pages, full color. Normally retails for $17.99. You can get on in-stock trades right now for 45% off, so only $9.89. And folks, if you've never read the Justice League International stuff, it is freaking hilarious. And I can promise you, it still holds up. I do a podcast where we're going issue by issue, and it is still a freaking riot. It is so funny, and uh, it's such a great, uh, great, great series. So please pick it up if you haven't read it, and if or if you read it years ago, might be worth picking up again. So I think so. For, the, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. All right. 
So yes, we have in our hot little hands Justice League Sourcebook. This is Mayfair Games, uh, stock item number 241. And as we go through this thing, we're, I mean, it's a big book, guys. This is, how many pages is this thing? 128 pages? We're not gonna, you know, we obviously can't talk about everything in here. We're kind of assuming that you have some basic knowledge of the Justice League and its members and its foes. So while we are gonna take a moment to talk about each member, we're not gonna cover deeply into their histories. I mean, I'm pretty sure you know Batman's parents were murdered. And you might just know that Mr. Miracle is the son of the guy who rules New Genesis. And he you know, grew up on Apocalypse. I'm hoping you know that. If you don't, you know what? We have a whole other show you can listen to on this network called the Who's Who Podcast, which will be happy to educate you on all of those characters. I've done a little research. I, I couldn't find out exactly when this book came out, Siskoid. But going through, and uh, there's some amazing footnotes in here, by the way. They're really, really good. So looking at all the footnotes, the latest footnote I could find was in the extremist section. It was for Justice League Europe number 19. And that issue was on the shelves in September 1990. So, going by that, I have to assume that this book was probably written somewhere around September 1990. So it's probably on the shelf a month or two later. So let's say October, November 1990 is probably when this thing came out. Yeah, nice uh, Christmas gift. Yes, it would, be, would have been perfect. <laughs> the author was Ray Winninger, and uh, with, with assistance by Jack Barker, who was also the editor. Graphic design and maps were by Jerry O'Malley, Mari Paz P. Cavarado, yeah, that's all one name, uh, and Ike Scott. Why don't, why don't we start off here? Why don't you describe the cover, and then we can get into some uh, detailed dis- discussions on it. Well, you've seen this cover. You've seen it uh, several times probably in your life, <laughs> <laughs> or a version of it. It's Kevin McGuire art, and it's a take on his own cover from Justice League number one, the oft-repeated uh, meme of the uh, all the heroes assembled on the cover as seen from overhead and kind of looking at the reader and saying, you know, want to make something of it? You got a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Guy Gardner in the middle, daring you to, to, to say something bad about the team. <laughs> but this time, there, there's the whole roster. Uh, everyone that's covered in this book, uh, I mean, on the at least in the Justice League, and some friends as well, Phantom Strangers in the back there. So all the, the Justice Leaguers are together on one page, whether they were from the original team, the Detroit team, the Justice League International, uh, or Justice League, either the America, the Europe side. They're all there, and they've got a lot of personality. Of course, it's Kevin McGuire, so all their expressions are on point. <laughs> By the way, um, over on our website, again, fireandwaterpodcast.com slash hero points, uh, there's going to be, the again, the post where you can put comments, but there's going to be another post on our website called a gallery post. And we're going to have several pages from the source book. I promise the cover will be out there. You'll be able to see it and follow along. Uh, you must have some favorites in here. Well, I do. And, and let's let's mention the, the, the artistry itself. You mentioned Kevin McGuire. It's inked by Joe Rubenstein. And the colors by were Helen Vezik. I'm not sure who she is. She must have worked for Mayfair. Well, Rubenstein wasn't McGuire's regular inker. But he did ink a lot of McGuire's stuff over the time. But for me, like, in general, I feel like this cover looks a little rushed. Like, it's lacking some polish. Do you feel that way? Or is it or is it just me? Am I seeing something that's not there? No, there's the, the inks are definitely rougher than... I mean, that original cover was, what, Terry Austin? Yeah. There's a huge difference. I think the personalities are there, but there are certain places where it's a little iffy, particularly uh, the, the, the around the center, the lower center, with Beetle, Fire, and the Metamorpho, mm-hmm. uh, sort of a three-headed monster on here. <laughs> you know, but otherwise, that's the only real flaw. I think the maybe Gnort looks kind of odd, more more monkey-ish, uh, yeah. and then his face is cut off by the bottom of the, the you know the border of the book uh, in the bleed. But otherwise, I quite like the figures here. Maybe I'm being too harsh. It's just for me, it's things like guy's hair 
and Huntress's hair, but then you look at Creeper. Creeper looks amazing the way he's inked. So it really does kind of jump all over the place. Um, now, you're talking about favorite pairings. So, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of go through that now. Starting at the top, you've got the logo, and it's Justice League and then Sourcebook. And the Justice League is the logo from JLI. And uh, I bet you Creeper, but I, again, Creeper, he's right there in the front. He was never part of the team. I have a, I have a thing about Creeper. Dr. Ange, who's listening, knows that I'm not a fan of Creeper. Oh. And yet... McGuire seems to use him a lot. Like, McGuire did a who's who entry for one of the updates, and it was the Justice League, and it was sort of similar. It was the classic JLA mixed with the JLI, and he put Creeper in it, and he put Creeper right up front. And once again, Creeper's right up front. And I gotta wonder if McGuire just has a, uh, has a crush on, on Creeper. I don't know. I think some characters are fun to draw, but you're right. Creeper, there are a few people in here who are just allies. They're not members of the team. And, there's one conspicuous absence. If you're going to put the allies or the main allies, so you include uh, Creeper, apparently, and uh, <laughs> a Phantom Stranger, there's no Superman. You know, Superman has been relegated to ally status uh, because yep. this is definitely a post-crisis book. There's a short explanation in the introduction that says, well, well here's, you know, just League history has changed and this is that new version. Uh, and so Superman's not a member for, for like, old-time fans. It's not the same founding members. Right. Yeah, regardless. They all still appear in here. They joined later. And in uh, Superman's case, uh, he never joined, and he's an ally. But you'd think you'd put him on the cover here. If, if Phantom Stranger makes it, I think Superman should make it. Well, there's some other glaring sort of omissions, too, though. I mean, you get, like, um, Maxwell Lord. Yeah. You know? No. And Oberon. At this, at this point, they... I mean, Oberon made it on the cover of JLA, no, Justice League number one. So you'd think they would be in here. So it is a little... Again, I'm not kvetching, because it is a gorgeous cover. It is lots of fun. Nort could be sitting on him, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So running through my gambit of characters here, let's see. Booster. He, uh, Booster's got this really distrusting face on it. And I'm trying to figure out whether he's, like, looking nasty at, you know, Captain Atom, or whether he's he's mad, because at this point, Booster had just left the Justice League to form the conglomerate. And I'm wondering if maybe that's tied to it. Mm. I don't know. Uh, I do like how Mr. Uh, there's some great pairings here. There's really nice ones. Like uh, he really thought about this when he laid this out because he's got the Hawks together, both Haw- Hawkman and Hawkwoman. He's got Green Arrow and Black Canary right next to each other, but close enough also to Hal Jordan. So that's sort of a nice little thing there. Barry Allen in Elongated Man are sort of wrapped around each other. Guy Gardner and Nort both being Green Lanterns. Fire and Ice are together, but at the same time they've they've worked it out so Guy and Ice are also close to each other. Batman and Huntress are next to each other. Mr. Miracle and Big Bart are next to each other. In fact, Bart has got like, or they're actually holding, like, got each other wrapped in each other's arms, which is really sweet. Yeah. Of course, they're married. Then they've also placed Booster and Beetle close to each other. You got the Justice League Detroit people signing kind of next to each other. You got Vibe and Gypsy together and Vixen and Steel. The Europe folks are all sort of kind of together. You got Captain Adam, Power Girl, Animal Man, Wonder Woman, Elongated Man, and Flash, even though it's technically that's the Barry Allen Flash, but they're all sort of together, which is nice. Do you notice, like, Captain Atom? I don't know if that was originally intended to be Captain Atom. I'm wondering if that was supposed to be Maxwell Lord originally. Look at the face. That is a Maxwell Lord face right there. <laughs> the hair, the facial expression, the snark. I mean, that is how Kevin McGuire draws Maxwell Lord. Yeah. I wonder if I wonder if that got changed halfway through it or something. I don't know. I don't know. It's still Captain Atom. I mean, he's with the, you can, you can see, like, that side of the page is really the Just League Europe. Yeah. So he's with the, the the Europe people, and he's sort of smirking because the elongated man is wrapping around around him. I think you're trying to no prize this one, buddy. I do like Firestorm being in the middle. Now, one thing, all right, this is me just overthinking this, but 
you know, Vibe. Vibe has got kind of an important place in the cover. He is in the very back, and he is dead square in the middle. And it's almost hard to miss Vibe. And he's sort of looking down over his sunglasses. And I started wondering whether that was on purpose, because there's a famous Justice League Quarterly cover. It's great. It's Justice League Quarterly number one. It's got a bunch of the Justice Leaguers there and the conglomerate together. And in the very back is Batman. But the Justice League Quarterly logo is so big, it comes down and covers Batman's face. Comedically. It's intended to. It's supposed to be funny that Batman's face is behind the logo because it's so crowded. And, in fact, the, the way Adam Hughes drew it, the, the real joke is that he drew Joker's head on Batman's body. It has a little word balloon, and the Joker saying, ha ha, you'll never get a load of me, because he's behind the logo. That's how Adam Hughes planned it. So it's pretty clever that he did this. So I, I, I couldn't help but wonder if he planned on Vibe getting his face covered as well, or something, because put him in a just kind of place where a logo would drop down over him, you know? Then again, he stares right at us. I mean, that's, it seems designed to draw us in. Okay. And it's crazy, because this whole crowd of A-listers and not-so-A-listers, but your eye is drawn to Vibe. I know, and, I know. And today, that's not so bad, but back True. in the day... That's sort of a visual joke. Yeah. It's a gag, I think. So what's going on with uh, Gypsy? Like, I can't figure that out. She looks either euphoric or she's getting bopped in the face by Hawkgirl's wings and she's mad. I can't tell what that is. Yeah, it looks more euphoric to me, but it's like she's she looks like she's stroking her cheek against the wings. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe she is. She might. That's so funny. She's rubbing up against the wings. <laughs> and, and the fire's cuddling with Beetle. Which is kind of interesting. I mean, they, they flirted off and on, but they never really worked out as a couple. So that's kind of interesting. I got a question here. I have in my possession a poster that is a representative of this cover. And some of our friends have the same poster. I, you look on the internet, tons of people have this poster. My question was, was that poster simply a promotional one from the comic shops? Or, or did this thing come shrink-wrapped with the poster? It did not come shrink-wrapped with a poster. It did not. Okay. I would have right. it. I would have it. Would the poster have been in maybe one of the box sets, like the second edition box set, perhaps? I don't think so. I've never seen this. I've never seen the poster, okay. and I've got okay. So, so many people I knew who had this poster. Like, I just I couldn't help but wonder if it was like issued somehow through uh, through some method, but I guess not. Okay, fair enough. Well, it's a great cover. And as you said, McGuire has done this same sort of pose so many times. You know, starts off with Just League number one, then it picks up again in Just League number twenty-four, uh, and then it goes again in Just League Europe number one, and just over and over. So it's a, it's an absolute hoot, and it's very fun to see. Now the back cover. Um, yeah, the back cover. <laughs> Why don't you talk a little bit about it, and I'll chime in. Well, the back the back cover looks horrible. I'll, I'll say that it looks bad. Yeah, that's it's, fair. It's yeah. powder blue. It's got a ton of different fonts on it. They all look terrible. Some of them are skewed. They're hard to read and when i say it's powder blue it's also got a, a sort of pink sperm motif anyway it's it's <laughs> it's not good but you're right <laughs> the idea the idea is fun uh, instead of having uh you know like critics uh speaking about the book it's members of the justice league speaking about the book as if it had come out in their world some of them are just you know kind of fun uh, you know john john jones going uh, care for a cookie at the end of his comment <laughs> i love the hawkman one that's the best that is the absolute that's best the one. best one he says do they realize that all those plans for the headquarters are supposed to be top secret haven't these people ever heard of security clearance they've included the secret sanctuary the jla satellite the bunker and the jli embassies why don't they just issue invitations for villains to invade <laughs> Well, that is so. That is so perfectly in keeping with the with the Giffen and Demetrius way they wrote him. Uh, if you've ever seen the Muppets, 
Hawkman is pretty much Sam the Eagle in the JLI comics, and, and that is just such a perfect representation of him. And, and Giffen and DiMatteis didn't write this stuff, but it's really fun the way how well they captured that. Right, and you got Black Canary moaning about how um, they're, well, how she's very glad that the Justice League of America is included in this because uh, everybody's forgetting the old guys, even though you know with the, the new guys' success, it's very fun copy. It tells you what's in the book, and at the same time, it breaks the fourth wall and. It's very amusing. The only other one I want to mention was Guy Gardner's. I like his, too, where he's talking about... He's basically being a perv, and he's talking about how he likes reading all the details on the hot women, and then, like, he doesn't... What do all these numbers mean? And by the, by the way, the section on me is not nearly long enough. It just, just cracked me up. Yeah. My daughter, was, my daughter was very excited to see that Nort had a quote on the back. She just thinks Nort is hilarious. She loves Nort. So... <laughs> Fun stuff. I mean, like you said, it's visually, it's really a, a not win. In fact, I posted a picture of this on Facebook recently, and someone said, "Look, it's a collection of inexpensive fonts." Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. They all kind of are stock fonts. It's fun though. It's fun. No comic sense, so we're okay. Right. We're okay. <laughs> all right. So as you crack open the book, uh, you get to like some acknowledgments, which are basically just a bunch of people who uh, who have written Justice League or drawn Justice League over the years. You get an introduction, and then you get into a section called Chapter One: A Capsule History. And as Cisco had mentioned earlier in the opening, the way we're going to kind of cover, split up the coverage is he's going to talk about Justice League of America, uh, and then I'm going to talk about Justice League International. And it just seems to work well with my podcast, so that's what we're going to do. So we're not really talking about the history. It's, I mean, they've written the history in a, in a few pages. And, I mean, it's the history of the Justice League as it was post-crisis. Uh, and we'll get the history of each of the characters uh, as we go through. Like we said, we're not going to read that. What I do find interesting is that, for the first time, I do believe, I seem to remember this is the first time, and it will culminate in what they've done with the who's who mm-hmm. in the DC Heroes world, uh, is the end notes. At the end of every mm. every section or every character's history, there will be endnotes. At the end, at the end of the Justice League history, there are endnotes, and these are basically references all throughout. There will be footnotes, and you you get which issue that took place in. Uh, so obviously, you know important issues where whatever story happens, and you get those. This was the first time they did this. It meant that they were really trying to push the books onto comics readers as well as gamers, because I don't think gamers would go through the trouble. Well, I'd be hard-pressed at the time to track down Detective Comics number 27. <laughs> <laughs> like today, you can you, you know you can find a lot of stuff easily online, or, you know, Comixology has old comics. At the time, this would have meant rummaging through boxes, and a lot of these comics are too old for anyone to easily find. Uh, so the reference does not necessarily help the gamer. That's not going to help me run a game. But as a comics fan, I'm interested in which issue this happened in, and you know, not knowing my comics history. So this is a this is a new thing for uh, for the DC Heroes role playing game. I, I thought they were glorious. I thought, and and I will disagree with you to a little bit in that I felt like it helped me with the games because let's say I wanted to use a character, uh, and the footnote says he appeared in Justice League of America number 152, and I'd be like, okay, well I'm going to go read that comic and get a better understanding of that character, or I could show the comic to my players and go, here you go. This is what the character looks like, you know, that kind of thing. And today, sure, yeah. in 1990, I'm not, I'm not sure I would have been. It would have been that easy for me to find the the particular comic. Well, at this point, but at least you could figure it out. I mean, like for me, this this book here and any subsequent in the Who's Who put me on back issue hunting because uh, I would be like, ooh. I want to read that issue with Animal Man, or like you know, I, 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 as we go through, I'm sure some will jump out at me, but like I would be reading, I'd be like, oh, 
I had no idea that character even appeared in this other series. I, you know, I had no idea. Um, it, Blasters number one is a good example. Uh, <laughs> who led me on that chase for Blasters number one? Cause I hunted for that book almost 30 years and finally got it, and it was awful. But anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, Peter David. No offense. <laughs> anyway, I love the endnotes. I just, it, it sent me on so much back issue purchasing. It's, I can't even tell you. So I thought it was absolutely glorious. And here it's still restrained. The, the who's who, the DC heroes who's who loose leaf <laughs> has a lot more. Well, that's Mayfair specifically, not the one produced by DC, but the Mayfair. Yeah, the Mayfair ones. ones. A couple things that I didn't like. When the Justice League of America gets disbanded, you know, um, after they murdered, uh, Dr. Ivo murders, you know, Steel and, and Vibe, and Marshmallow, you know, dissolves the Justice League of America, and then Legends happens, and then they, you know, form the new Justice League. It actually specifies how long that period of time was here. They say it was two weeks in between the dissolution of the Justice League of America and the creation of Justice League. And just for me personally, I found that interesting because I'd never seen that quantified before. Yeah. So that was kind of neat, and I don't know if that's ever appeared anywhere. I mean, a lot of the focus in here does talk about how they've dropped of America, and they become Justice League, and how the U.S. was watching them closely and things like that. There's some funny bits. There's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek in the book. Like, they talk about how Dr. Light joins the Justice League, and they actually put in quotes, the nice one, not the villain, which I just thought was kind of funny and humorous. And they talk about the embassies and things like that. But overall, I mean, if it's, it's a great history if you don't know the Justice League history, and, you know, if you haven't trolled all the Wikipedia pages over the years for that kind of stuff. It's, it's well-written. It's nice. The way it's skewed, I mean, makes sense. Uh, it is skewed towards the, you know, what the current Justice League was. So you get a lot more nitty-gritty, detailed, and forgettable, perhaps, stories in that section, as opposed to, like, glossing over large parts of the Justice League of America, which lasted much longer. And the whole book... Yeah, no, no. The, the whole... Hold on. One, Do I... two... Three. Let's the, the Justice League of America gets three pages. Justice League Euro, uh, uh, International gets like one and a half. Put this book, like re- <laughs> publish this book again in a, in like ten years later, and I'm yeah. pretty sure they're not going to name the members of the conglomerate in the history. Okay, that's true. You know, that is, that's, that's, that's very what I mean. Current. That's true. <laughs> it, in fact, West End Games publishes a Justice League, you know, source book. It's not quite ten years. It's probably about seven years after this or eight years after this. And, uh, yeah, you're right. I doubt conglomerates in there. <laughs> yeah, it's just that you're going to go into more detail with recent stories and that get vaguer and vaguer as they go back in time. And that's fine. And it goes through the whole book. It's really like that for the whole book, uh, I think, where you get a lot more, mm, you know, not so important Justice League villains that, you know, the, the series was like three years old at this at that point so you get you know villains that only appeared once whereas mm-hmm. the justice league well okay let's let's just keep to the main ones uh for the justice league of america you get a lot of that and i think your sections your sections would be the Bwahaha justice league are a lot more fun to read really yeah. and even my sections will still have if possible you know winks to the current series every hero will have a little quote taken from a comics appearance uh, in their bio, and that quote, if possible, will be from the Boaha Justice League, even if the character is older. So, you know, that's how the book skews in general, which makes perfect sense. You want to be selling it to people who are reading the, the books when the source book comes out. That's true. And, and to put you guys kind of in the context, I mentioned the issues earlier, but just to give you an idea of where things were, the Justice League of America, um, this is out somewhere around issue 44, um, they had just finished that epic battle with Despero. And, and if you've read Justice League International, you know the one I'm talking about. When he came back and he's wearing the United Nations flag and he just, oh, it's horrible. And then um, Justice League Europe had just finished their epic battle with the extremists. 
So that's kind of the period of time where the, these books exist. And uh, one more thing, uh, Booster Gold had just recently left and formed the conglomerate. Yeah. Now it's funny. You're right. It the it does skew towards Justice League uh, International. However, I did a quick count, and believe it or not, the classic JLA characters, even though there are fewer of them, get more pages than the Justice League International characters. So there's tw- about 25 pages dedicated to the uh, Justice League of America, and there's about 20 pages dedicated to the Justice League International, and the International actually has more characters in it. However, you know, you're looking at characters, though, like Aquaman and Batman, who have so much history, it makes perfect sense that they're going to take up more yeah. pages. And, I mean, Batman, Black Canary are part of the older team, but also part of the newer team. So That's true. Martian the, Manhunter as well. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a crossover there. All right, let's do it. Okay, well, uh, the first section, Chapter 2, is really the first big meaty section, is the Leaguers. So every member of the Justice League up to that point, basically up through Crimson Fox... Yeah, she just just recently joined. You're right. A lot of characters here, and uh, so I'm since I'm taking up the the new founders, uh, which exclude Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman. It's really in order of joining, and if they all join together, alphabetical order within that subgrouping. So uh, I don't have a lot of comments on each of them, but going through. Uh, let's see, the first one is Aquaman. And strangely, and they do this a couple times, but strangely, they decided that the picture that should go on there would be the camouflage suit Aquaman, even though there's no Justice League story where he wears this. <laughs> I do love it, though. I mean, it's, it's uh, Craig Hamilton. Craig Hamilton. Gorgeous art, picture. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it, it's not appropriate. Uh, but they do give the stats for that, so we know that it actually gives... Aquaman, the stealth skill. It's not really a power, but it's uh, it gives him extra skill. And it says Aquaman only wears the camouflage suit on special missions. <laughs> and, and the stealth only works underwater as well. Yes. Just, and for you gamers who do like Crunch, it's a stealth of six APs. So it's pretty good. I mean, that's not bad. Especially since he doesn't have a whole lot of... He's not a very skillful character. He's only got vehicle six and no other skills, which I think is kind of bogus. But uh, and that's probably for that little jet ski he used to ride in, uh, yeah. in the Super Friends. <laughs> Let's move, unless you have other things. To, oh, of course. Uh, it's Aquaman. Of course I have comments. Come on. This, this network was founded on Aquaman and Firestorm. Of course I have comments. Okay, first off, his swimming power is only at a seven. Personally, I don't buy that. There's okay. no way. I agree. He should be swimming faster than this. He should be swimming at the speed of it like a jet engine in the water. And it's a bit less than that. Yeah. If it's 125, it's not fast. If it's 250, okay, I'll, I'll back off and say that's fine. All right, I promise we're not going to get this detail on every character, folks. But, you know, again, it's Aquaman. A couple other things. Now, his strength is an eight, which I give is, is fine. But nowadays, uh, I would say it's probably more closer to a 15. Uh, what they do him in, in the Aquaman comics now, that's that's me looking forward. Nothing about, you know, can't really address that in the book here. But I just... I like bringing that up. They've, they've really played a Aquaman's strength in recent years. Now, there is a, one thing in here that I feel like is an error. They mention him being blonde was the curse of Shalako, which is a reference to Atlantis Chronicles, right. which had just recently finished. Uh, in in fact, it was finishing the same time this was being written. And um, Shalako was blonde, that's true, but really the curse was the, 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 blood cur- or the blonde curse of Kordax, which was like the grandson of Shalako. So it's like, I thought that was odd that they would go to the effort of including it and getting it wrong. So that was a little... That stuck out of me. But I like how it says he's the most driven and serious of all the original JLAers. 
very cool. And his motivation was upholding the good, which I would also agree with. I think that's fair. You know, shouldn't he have married or something like that also? Uh, not, not really at this point. Well, a lot of the characters, though, will say, like, when we get to Ray Palmer, it'll say married up until this point, because you could play the character at any point in history. Yeah. It's trying to straddle the line between giving us the characters as they were in Justice League, as opposed to in their own books. But then sometimes mm-hmm. it goes over. It's not always the case. So... Yeah, it's it's always tough to model a character that's lived so long. What version are you going to show right. in the book? So I guess it's the current version, but it also includes elements like the camouflage suit. And at this point, he certainly doesn't have the married drawback. <laughs> well, no, no, not, not at this point. I'm sorry, so. I'm sorry, all you married folks. It's a, it's a, it's a drawback. <laughs> There are days, my friend. There are days. Now, this is a good example of the end notes here, where it talks about all Aquaman's appearances in Adventure Comics. And I became an Aquaman fan about this time, so these end notes may have been exactly what I went shopping from. I'm not sure. The, the history does end with a reference to Kui Kui Kui, so that's, uh, you know, like I said, it's, if we can skew it towards Bwahaha, we will. Yep. Next up is Black Canary, the second of that name. The little quote they give her is actually from. A favorite moment of the Bwahaha League, right? <laughs> Absolutely is. <laughs> she says, uh, it's right after Batman has knocked out Guy Gardner. Well, yeah, where he knocked out Guy Gardner in uh, Justice League number five. One punch. But she goes, uh, Batman belted him and I missed it? Oh, God, I'm depressed. That is uh, the combination of Batman knocking out Guy Gardner and her line actually was just the funniest moment of that book. In fact, I think we awarded it yep. the Bwahaha Award over on the uh, Justice League podcast. So again, a character that skews towards the Bwahaha League. Uh, but of course, the, her history here is really the post-crisis history. It doesn't have all the weird baby crossing over from one Earth to the next. <laughs> Thank you, Secret Origins, and, and for clearing that up. And in fact, if you want to hear all that, you should listen to Secret Origins number 50. It's a podcast uh, that's on the Firewater Podcast Network. It's done now, but still out there. Secret Origins uh, uh, number 50. Ryan Daly does an excellent job covering the origin, uh, post-crisis origin of Black Canary. Next up, what? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, Oh, my. Hold on. Shag, we're not, no, not, not going like to get through this. <laughs> no, no, just hush. I'll go quickly. First of all, she does not have the attractive advantage. Seriously? Someone made a huge glaring error there. I'm sorry. Black Canary, smoking hot. The other thing is just motivation. Seeking justice. Do you agree with that? Some versions of her. Uh, let's not forget, this is in publishing history, post-Longbow Hunters. Oh, it's true. She just lost her scream. It even mentions it here. Yeah. yeah? Okay. So she's she's screamless. Uh, she's uh, okay. older, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, that's why they decided to do over the attractive, which, I mean, which is wrong. But um, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's part of it. She's not, she wasn't being played as much of a bombshell in the book, in the Green Arrow book. Could be. Uh, so, and th- they, they are both seeking justice at this point. So, right. again, it's, Fair enough. It, this is the character as she is in 1990. I still say attractive should be there. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, on to the next verse. Barry Allen, The Flash, deceased. So, of course, all his stats are zero. It's very, oh, it's very, very sad. It's very sad. <laughs> <laughs> It's him in his prime. So nothing much here to add. It's the same character that's been statted up before, you know, Super Speed 25 and all that. Which is such a game breaker as a game master. Oh, my gosh. This, 
Anybody Super speed is tough. I hated having gamers that did that. Now, I will say he needs a skill here that they're lacking. Probably something along the lines of scholar, police forensics, something like that. Yeah. You should have something Although in there. It is included that. in scientists. Yeah, but, I mean, that's so vague. I mean, he should have, like, scientist at a six, but police forensics at, like, a nine or something right. like that, you know? Like a, um, a field of expertise, which yeah. wasn't really part of the game at this point. I do like uh, the ring. Uh, the, the, they talk about his ring that, you know, makes his costume come out. And the way they do devices in this game system is they don't just say it shrinks his, you know, it shrinks his, compresses his costume into his ring. They actually give it superpowers. So the ring actually has the power of shrinking of 10 APs, but uh, it only works on his costume, which I think is just kind of funny the way they do it. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to some other characters, but um, that's just kind of funny. And motivation, upholding the good? I would agree with that one. Yeah. And then uh, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan is next. Again, these are characters that we've seen so often, and they've been statted up in every edition of the game. Uh, so I, I don't have very many notes on it. Read that as Cisco didn't prepare. I, pre- what I, I prepared. I mean, I, I wanted this to be maybe I don't know a two-hour podcast. If if you quit talking about talking about it and let's just talk about it, it'll go faster. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> so uh, responsibility of power is his motivation. That's. Perfect for a Green Lantern. Absolutely is. That so, should be. I would agree. Now, he needs something in here like charisma or attractive, because think about all the play he got over the years. I mean, he he should have something in that regard. And then uh, I would say also he probably should have a drawback to attractive women or something like that. Or lastly, uh, you know, the vehicles, I think they should have probably specialized that to planes. I, I don't know that he's that good at driving a, I don't know, all-terrain vehicle. No, he's, he's a pilot. They should have something about piloting in his skills. That was a problem with all the, um, the, the skills, really. They very often just gave you the generic one, and then you'd go, well, well, how good is he in a submarine? My take on that is it looks like the characters, like you said, all these characters have been statted up a bunch of times. The characters who were statted up early on do have the vague skill. But then when you get to later characters who are statted up much later, and I'll just jump ahead, Catherine Colbert is statted up in here from uh, the Justice League Europe Embassy. She has very specific skills. And it's like, I think people who were statted up later as time went by, they got more specific. The characters that have been statted up much earlier, kind of generic. Yeah, they didn't really redo them. Martian Manhunter is next. Uh, and here, uh, there is a skew towards Boahaha again, because he is a Boahaha character. Here's how these characters, the characters that cross over from one version of the team to the other, each entry has, after the stats, the background, and then personality, so you'd know how to roleplay them if you needed to. And uh, whenever the characters, you know, suddenly are part of that superhero sitcom, they actually acknowledge it in that the personality block. So they'll say, you know, John is quiet, a competent hero, has proven himself, blah, 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 blah. And then ever since he began hanging around with the JLI, hmm, the Manhunter has started to indulge his sharp wit, allowing himself the luxury <laughs> and occasional subtle joke and revealing a whole new facet to his personality. And, of course, there'll be a Norio joke in the, the quote, for example. So right. uh, it, it's a way to say, yeah, these characters are behaving differently now, you know, are allowed a lot more humor. And so we acknowledge it in the text itself. I like that. I do too. And I like that. Actually, one of my favorite quotes comes from this, this section right here where he's talking about that. And he says, he has become a father figure to the younger undisciplined heroes of the JLI. I just love that younger undisciplined is such a nice way of saying it, as you said, superhero sitcom. You know, it's a it's a polite way of saying it. Now this this John Jones is also the one, it's worth mentioning the the 1980s version from the JMD Mateus miniseries where they retcon his whole origin and uh you know they found a lot of different things about Marsh Manhunter. So this one addresses that version of it, which 
get retconned again and again, as Diablo Frank would tell you. But one thing I want to focus on here, though, is uh, a, a reoccurring stat that I've noticed throughout the book is people's strength. He has a strength of 18, which puts him considerably less than Captain Marvel and Captain Adam, and even Power Girl after she got depowered. I have a hard time with him being weaker than maybe... Like, I look at him and Captain Adam and him in the weaker Power Girl, and I can't help but wonder. I'm like, I don't know if that's right. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, you should definitely be under Superman. That makes sense. So I, I'm okay with him being under Captain Marvel. That also makes sense to me. You know, Captain Marvel should be closer to... But, pa- yep. yeah, Power Girl, the depowered Power Girl is, what, 20? Strength 20? Yeah. She's a 20. Uh, at the same time, yes, there's the emulation of the character as seen on the page, but there's mm-hmm. also the playability of the character that might well, sure. might be a factor. In a team, if you're going to have and you're going to play these, these Justice League characters together, characters that have only strength and invulnerability to go for them, like Power Girl at that mm-hmm. time, you know, they, they need to be good at something. Power Girl's a brick. She's super strong and, and vulnerable. Martian Manhunter has more than that. He doesn't rely on his strength as much. Now, maybe, okay. maybe he is very strong, and we, we put him in that power class, but he doesn't use his strength as much as Power Girl does. Yeah, and, and, I, and I could be projecting also. He's a, he's a beefy guy in the Morrison run. Here he is sort of a slim guy. Quick thing also, the motivation is, is upholding the good. And i got to think at this point... If we're talking current character, right now he, he is very upset about his family and all these different things. I would say he's probably under seeking justice or even responsibility rather than upholding the good. Well, I'd see responsibility because mentor to the yeah. younger heroes. As you know, there's like the motivation for doing good works, and then there's the motivation for being in the team. <laughs> being in the team yeah. is a bit of a it's almost unwanted power. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in a sense, <laughs> it's pretty fitting for him. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But I don't think he's, All right. you know he's not seeking justice. Green Arrow then is next, and very much the uh, Longbow Hunters Green Arrow pictured here. And th- this is an odd one for me because instead of putting his trick arrows, which were part of his arsenal uh, during the uh, at least the early years, with the entry, they put it in the back of the book. <laughs> there's like, yep. There's under a, under Justice League gadgets. Yeah. There's like. We'll see. There's gadgets like the signal watch and signal devices and whatever. And then there's like all the trick arrows, like they belong to the team or something. It's weird. But they really wanted to concentrate on the Longbow Hunters version, so they gave him Seeking Justice. And the. It's not like uh, the Black Canary earlier. They do say Thrill of Adventure early on and then Seeking Justice thereafter. So Exactly. It, it, so yeah, like that's well done. There's one where there's a transition. But uh, we get all the ordinary arrows with, that have no powers, obviously trick arrows are superior, uh, but you do get a lot of them uh, at the back of the book. You know what I don't get is they they take the time to specifically say that his weaponry skill drops by one AP when uh, in starting in the Longbow Hunters. And I don't know if that's because he switched from a composite bow to a longbow. Maybe that's why his skill went down by one AP from 13 to 12. But that's just kind of an unusual thing. I mean, I don't remember anything in the story about him being not as good at shooting arrows. Yeah, well, it's more meta because this, that series was more down-to-earth and grounded and realistic. So yeah. suddenly he's not doing any more trick shots. So on the page... He's not the trick shot artist that he used to be. And he's still a good marksman, well, but he's not doing weird, you know, superhero trick shots. I mean, he's not bouncing arrows off walls, which never made any sense. And, but he is, like, specifically shooting through people's hands or, you know, pinning their clothes. I mean, he really is doing – he is still doing trick shots. That, but they're, well, that just point, they're pointy. <laughs> yeah, you just need accuracy yeah. for that. To bounce things off walls, you need weaponry 13. All right. The impossible All right. skill. 
you are the no prize guy, I tell you. <laughs> I've done a lot of DC Heroes modeling, but a lot of it. My, my favorite thing in here is because if you know the history of, of Green Arrow, he is constantly like, he's rich, he's broke. He's rich, he's broke. He's kind of rich, ah, uh, look, he's broke. Oh, he's doing okay now. Oh, well, he's mayor. I mean, it's just, you know, his income is crazy. And they actually list that in his wealth. It actually has a series of different wealths with little slashes between them. So it goes like 12, 4, 11, 4, 9, 4. In, in that, that order. order. <laughs> that cracks me up. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the better bits. All right. Uh, is it, uh, the Adam I almost skipped. Uh, he, cause he's not, it's because he's, he's not, so small, you almost missed him. Yeah, he's not pictured. He's the first of the leaguers who isn't pictured. And yeah, He's there. He's just so tiny you can't see That's him. it. He's a dot. And uh, it's too bad because like a Green Arrow has way too much... You know, there's a lot of Green Arrow here, taking away from the possibility of seeing the Atom. Well, did you read the Power of the Atom series? That would have been contemporary to this, so not the worst thing that ever happened to Skip it. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, you were talking about modeling strange powers, like the giving the oh, to yeah. the ring. There's one here. There's one, how do you do this with the powers that are included in the set? Uh, it's the bit about the Atom jumping into a phone. And then <laughs> basically long distance calling himself to the other <laughs> end, right? Yep. Uh, and so how do you do that in DC Heroes terms? Here's how you do it. Teleportation. Teleportation 22, which means all over the world, basically. And it, there's obviously there's a, uh, a limitation. Uh, you can only teleport over phone lines. So that's how they do it. <laughs> so how would that work with cell phones nowadays, I wonder? <laughs> yeah, can you do that? Well, he, yeah, I think he's just, I, he just, is he sitting on a beam? How? He's following the signal now. I, I, I think he does still jump through cell phones, but it just, it always made sense when there was, you know, a physical connective, you know, line. So, I don't know. I'm not sure either. And he's, he's one of these characters that was married up to that point, and then it does cover him pre sort of the Atom and post sort of the Atom. I like that they do that specifically, not just in the history, but in the drawbacks themselves. Like you were saying, you're talking about the, the it actually says married disadvantage only applies during these issues, and secret identity only applies during these issues. I thought that was pretty nice the way they did that. Yeah. And then you've got the height and weight, which are interesting, because yeah. he's six feet, 180 pounds, more or less. <laughs> There's a plus minus sign on on both of these figures. That's hilarious. More that or less. <laughs> More or less, especially less, I guess. Now, to be fair, I talked about Power of the Atom. I forget this Power of Atom is actually over at this point, and this is when he was hanging out with the Suicide Squad. Actually, they had just done that storyline, uh, the search for Ray Palmer, I think, is what it was called. He's, he's, they're always looking for that guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. respo- uh, motivation, responsibility, of power. So that seems reasonable. The Seeker of Justice par excellence is next, the Batman. <laughs> Not Batman, the Batman. And this is, I, I thought, oh, man, are we going to finally, I mean, finally, like this this happened in 1990, but uh, rereading it, are we finally going to find out when exactly Batman joined the Justice League? Are they going to tell us? <laughs> no, sir. No, they do not. It says, at some point, they're really cagey about it. Under mysterious circumstances, as yet unrevealed, Batman joined. We just wanted him to have joined before Elongated Man and Red Tornado and those guys. It's basically, right. That's basically why. Okay, Green Arrow, the Atom, it's still A-listers. Okay, Batman's got to come in before the B-listers. Uh, of the satellite era. (laughs) Okay, I guess. I guess it makes sense. Because in the text, he joins, and then he immediately leaves to form the Outsiders. Right. That's the way the text makes it look. And I want you guys to remember this, because when we get to Superman, who's listed as an ally, 
it's very different, and we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. So again, Batman, a very well-known character. They include you know stuff from his in his belt. Uh, it's it's pretty standard. We've seen his stats so many times; it's crazy. You know, motivation, as you said, seeking justice. Boom, dead on. Yeah. I don't really have anything more on Batman. It's it's Batman. Exactly. <laughs> I've gone through my Batman phase, so I can move on. Elongated man is next. Height more or less six foot one. <laughs> They've got that variable size to him. A character I very I very much like, but very easy to model and no real surprises. I don't think uh, they do make his sniffing out of mystery. The twitching nose is a power. It's danger sense uh, six here. Uh, mm-hmm. So they do say it is a power that he has, but otherwise, just what you'd expect, and his motivation is thrill of adventure. I, I do take issue with one of his statistics, okay? They gave him a detective skill of six. Elongated Man is commonly known in the DC Universe as, like, the second greatest detective in the world, behind Batman. There's a very big drop. Detective. Ba- well, <laughs> Batman is a 12. I did the, I did the geometric, or is it geometric or rhythm, whatever, the progression. I did the progression to figure out what that is. That is so ba- He's a 6, Batman's a 12. That means Batman is 64 times a better detective than Elongated Man? I don't buy it. No way. If Batman's a 12, Elongated Man should be probably a 10, at least. They had already done that Batman annual where Batman teams up with, like, Sherlock Holmes and Elongated Man, the greatest detectives ever. So, no. I no, I think it's somebody who didn't look deep in this. I think it was a Plastic Man fan who wrote these stats. <laughs> they said, ah, Elongated Man's just a shallow copy, which I disagree with. So, anyway, I'm done with that one. Red Tornado. Let's go on to someone who's really useless. Yeah, the, I hate the Red Tornado so much. <laughs> so, so much. He's outsider's level for me. <laughs> Really, something, a figure to be mocked, but a uh, very useful character in game terms. <laughs> he's, he's got a lot of powers. He's got a lot of powers. Yeah, he's got a lot of powers. And I, I'm not wrong saying that he had a romantic entanglement with Kathy Sutton, right? That's correct. Okay. Normally, you might have somebody married or whatever. Here, Kathy Sutton is part of his stats. It's in his advantages. She's listed as a buddy, which is means, you know, Oberon is Mr. Miracle's buddy. It's sort of a sidekick, but a civilian sidekick, let's say. Does, that person does not go out. But at the same time, they've also got a lot of stats for this, right? They, like, buddy is one thing. But then sidekicks another, and then uh, what does Alfred Pennyworth get? Oh, I don't know. I do. I wouldn't remember. Something but assistant. Yeah. But, so they've got a lot of these. So he's the stats make him sound like he's been friend zoned, you know. And, <laughs> and I think that's perfect for the Red Tornado. Oh, that's too funny. Now the buddy uh, attribute or advantage is actually introduced in this book, right? And we'll it's talk about it a little bit more when we get to the end. But um, perhaps it's uh, perhaps it's that awkward phase where you're with someone so long they're no longer your girlfriend, but you're not married yet. So it's like that. How do you? Just, it's your significant other, you know? Like Oberon is to Mister Miracle. <laughs> I'm sure Bardo would agree yeah. with that. <laughs> and here we do get not only the android form, but the later or the current at the time elemental form. So mm-hmm. so that story, which from Firestorm, from Firestorm, yes. And I do like how they talk about uh, Red Tornado has a death wish. I don't really really remember him specifically having a death wish in the comics, but it makes a really good way to explain how, why he gets destroyed all the time. Yeah, so well, that cracked me up. Well, he did a lot of the the crying and woe is me, and then well, I'm just gonna go sacrifice myself like I'm a two bit feral lad, and then you know that kind of thing. 
He's pretty powerful, though. I mean, air control 13, he's got flight and vulnerability, sealed systems, telescopic vision. He's useful. Oh, yeah, no, no. He's, he's a good character to play, and I we've played him. We've used him in, in my games. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I had a player who did this hilarious shtick that made him really, really emo. Oh, jeez. Because he didn't know anything about the Red Tornado. He was just got handed a character. Okay. I said, well, this, this character, how do I play him? Oh, well, he's he's really very emo. So he, he played that to the hilt. It was like the, Marvin the Robot? Basically. <laughs> it was Marvin It was Marvin from um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, pretty much. Hilarious. So, Hilarious. Motiv- motivation of upholding the good. I would argue that it might need to be something like programming, though. Yeah, or maybe um, you know, maybe he is like a sort, of, a sort of unwanted power, and nobody wants me, and I'm just doing this because I'm not accepted in society, which is what unwanted power often becomes. It's true. He wants to be human. He doesn't want to be like this. Yeah. He'd give it all up. He's data. All right. We spent enough time on Red Tornado. Next. Zatanna. Woohoo. Uh, so Zatanna has been going through some changes as well, you know, by this time. So originally, um, she only had the sorcery power back in the, the early comics, and then she lost her sorcery power and gained all the other powers that are listed. You know, from what we mostly know her to, to have as a DC Heroes character is, uh, you know, very specific air control, earth control, fire control, you know, very elemental powers. And then after mm-hmm. JLA 257, she regains her sorcery power. So they do track this across, you know, her career sort of thing. And then later after this, she will again drop back to just sorcery in her miniseries. Uh, so Zatanna um, upholding the good? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I think she's more of a... I guess it's okay. Yeah, she's more of a thrill of adventure kind of person, I think, today. I was thinking responsibility of power. Yeah. Like, because of her father and everything. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I go to thrill of adventure whenever I think of a character that likes to be on stage, and there's, some, hmm. there's something to that, you know, like a boost. Oh, yeah. That's true, the performer side of it. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I will say that, uh, again... Uh, the attractive advantage is missing, seriously, with her. You gotta be kidding me. And, uh, then also a connection to Blue Devil should be in there as well. Okay, maybe that's just me that cares about that, but either way. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know what I'm thinking about the, um, attractiveness advantage? In game terms, it is specifically tailored for characters who want to manipulate other characters. So attractive makes you better able to persuade uh, other people through, you know, seduction, arguably. Whenever characters are not particularly bent on on seduction or playing the femme fatale or the man fatale, they don't get attractive necessarily. Wonder Woman's got it. Damn it. <laughs> there goes that theory. But, and yet, Power Girl, who's all about, you know, the boob window and the low-cut shirts and all that and the ridiculously sized chest, does not have attractive. How ridiculous is that? Like I say, I think it's really, does the character use it? And I think Wonder Woman probably uses it without really on purpose. She just has an aura that makes people want to do what she she wants them to do based on her attractiveness. Whereas Zatanna, the Zatanna we know, the, the stage performer fishnet Zatanna definitely should have attractive and would have attractive. The, she would. the snake on her head, <clears throat> dressed collar to toe, Zatanna of the Justice League. No, that's not even true. I was going to say. Super sexy in that, that first Justice League Detroit story. Yeah, yes she is, because I, I didn't want to jump ahead, but we're going to get to Dale Gunn, and Dale Gunn doesn't have attractive either, and by golly, he needs it, because both Vixen and Zatanna were trying to seduce him <laughs> at the same time. Oh well. No more no prizes for you, sir. Okay, I'm done. 
This next character is pretty cool. Well, it depends on the incarnation. No, uh, Firestorm the <laughs> Nuclear Man is next, and we get whoop, whoop. we actually get two incarnations of him, plus stats for Ronnie and uh, Martin Stein. So the two incarnations they do cover is the original, who was a member of the Justice League, of course, and the current incarnation, the Fire Elemental, even though that incarnation never was part of the Justice League. Right, but Firestorm had a comic on the shelves at this point, not for much longer. I mean, it was just, it was either, I think it was about to wrap up, and uh, so that was currently on the stands with Firestorm. So it made sense for that to include it here if they're trying to sell books and stuff. And I like that modeling of him where you know where he's uh, he's vowed not to use his matter manipulation power anymore because it's destroying the environment. I remember that storyline quite well. So, you know, they're putting that in here. Basically, if you're playing Firestorm, they're saying, "Here's his powers. He doesn't actually use that one." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they did in the comics, too. Yeah. I mean, he literally had the power to just stop using it. The fact is no matter what incarnation you're playing in Firestorm, he's a game I mean, his powers are just wish fulfillment. He can create whatever he wants. It's almost impossible to use this character in a situation. It's like the Flash. Same kind of thing. It's like, this character should never lose a fight. And the fight should be over in half a second. You know, is how every single time is the way it works. Yeah. Now, speaking specifically to the versions here, um, this is definitely the second edition version of Firestorm because if you look back to first edition, the chat he, they changed his stats significantly from first edition to second edition, and the elemental version did appear in the second edition uh, box set, but. It also appeared a couple months before this. Now, some people know this, some people don't, but Mayfair used to send out a quarterly newsletter to people that got on a subscription list, and it would have stats for characters, it would have ads for upcoming books. It was a really cool thing, and I've actually got several uh, of these things. But in the summer of 1990, so a few months before this, they actually published The Elemental War, like an insert in one of their newsletters, and it had all of the four elementals from that Firestorm storyline, including the elemental version of Firestorm. And there was some significant differences between that and what was published in the second edition box set. So uh, this version here is uh, pretty much just like the one that was in the newsletter. So it, it does match up very nicely with that. And, uh, and then once, just for since I'm going down this path and I'm super, and again, Firestorm's pretty important to this network. Uh, then in 1993, when Mayfair did their Who's Who, they did mostly stay with these stats again, with some little differences. But uh, I, just, I, I could talk about Firestorm stats forever. I better not do that. But I do think it's funny in here. In in his origin, they do say that he hit the big leagues with villains like Killer Frost. All right, I'll give you that one. Hyena, maybe. <laughs> Multiplex, eh, maybe. And Slipknot. <laughs> they actually refer to Slipknot, and they even go on to describe Slipknot's power. Like, the rest of them, they don't talk about it, but Slipknot, they actually talk about it as, you know, Master of Ropes or whatever. That just, I about fell over laughing. Cause it, if, if you don't know the Fire and Water Podcast Network, uh, it was founded with a, a show dedicated to Aquaman and Firestorm, and Slipknot has been the butt of jokes since the very first episode. And the very fact that they called Slipknot Big Leagues, and now he appeared in the Suicide Squad movie, I mean, so it just cracked me up. <laughs> Now, I take issue with the motivation. It says his motivation is upholding the good. I do not agree with that at all. Uh, Firestorm should have been Thrill of Adventure. Absolutely should have been Thrill of Adventure uh, for the original incarnation of Firestorm. And then the uh, the elemental should have been Responsibility of Power. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It, it, yeah. He does have it. it. That's what the elemental has. Oh, they say that? Oh, okay. Responsibility of Power. That, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on to Justice League Detroit, yep. the, the one true league. <laughs> I love them. I really did. I was, you know, I, I thought when Aquaman disbanded the Justice League of America, I thought that was like a kerpow moment for me in my uh, comic book experience. You know, I loved that moment. And then, you know, they go on to create this this team of of kids who just, you know, never, you know, reach their potential. Let's let's 
Let's, yeah. let's say that. Um, That's the shame of it. Yeah. So Vibe, no, not Vibe is not the. First, yeah, Vibe is the first one I go to, but uh, Gypsy, <laughs> Gypsy is the first one on here. Uh, she uh, she has the powers of illusion and invisibility. She is a martial artist and uh, thief. Area knowledge, Detroit streets, which is uh, very important to this era of of the <laughs> league. True. Yeah. She was only 15, so she's got the age drawback uh, and a wealth of one. She really is a street urchin, which is her occupation, by the way. Which we need up. we need to apply for that job. Uh, <laughs> quick quick thing about Justin yeah. Detroit. For, for those of you who don't know it terribly well, basically Jerry Conway uh, was ta- as a writer was tasked with figuring out how to make the Justice League comic book, which was declining in sales, how to make it compete with books like New Teen Titans and X-Men, which were both like top, top, top of the comic book pile at that point as far as sales goes. And so he looked to those two models, and both of them were younger characters learning how to use their powers. And so that's the direction he came up with with Justice League Detroit. Well, unfortunately, Jerry was going through a tough time in his life at that point as well. Uh, he was going through a divorce. He was uh, burned out. He had editors that weren't really working with him anymore. They were sort of working against him. And uh, he, he'll tell you, he, he doesn't feel like he was producing his best stuff because of the stuff, all the stuff he was going on at that time. And so Justice League Detroit was was mired with a lot of problems. I think if it had come out at a different period in Jerry's career, uh, it could have been, you know what, everything everyone was hoping for. Because he can write some exceptional superhero stories. And other than uh, Vibe's accent, uh, I, I would say there's, there's a lot to be said for these characters. You know, they could have really done something with them. No, sure. And some people did. There's like some Justice League uh, classified or whatever uh, yeah. stories. Stories are perfectly good and uh, fun. There are no bad characters. Just some stories just don't fall together very well. Just, yeah. Uh, Last thing worth mentioning about Gypsy is at this point uh, that Despero storyline had happened in Justice League International, and Despero had returned to Earth and killed her parents. Oof. And then she had just joined the conglomerate. Steel is next. Deceased, of course. Uh, he was killed during Legends, which is often referenced in these pages as, as uh, they usually say, um, when Darkseid tried to rob us of our Legends. And that's, that's how you <laughs> reference Legends. Uh, that's true. Yeah. I'm surprised that Steel is has the motivation of unwanted power. I, really? Well, I haven't read these comics in a long while. I even I don't even own them. I borrowed them from someone back in the day. So I haven't read them in 30 years, probably. No, his grandfather really pushed him into all of it. Uh, he was a hothead. He was very resentful of the power that surgeries his grandfather had put him through. Um, so I think on one of hours, pretty fitting, actually. Okay. And he's a lot like Cyborg in that regard. Yeah. I think it works. There were certainly issues where he was more upbeat. Because, like, in my memory, I remember him as a upbeat character. But then when you read this, you forget, like, oh, yeah, he used to be a hothead. You know, I kind of forget that. So, yeah, it's just dependent on the issue, you know. Then there's Vibe. Woo! Vibe is deceased at this point. Uh, and uh, they've had to create a new power for him. Yes. Which I'm not sure was necessary. It was not. The Vibe power is like a lot of powers. It could have been just, uh, you know, Sonic Beam or whatever. The game is full of these where you basically project an energy type at something and cause damage. And that's all really yep. the vibe power is. Well, they, you're right. They absolutely could have used the same power they've given Black Canary. It's called Sonic uh, Beam. They could have absolutely, absolutely given him Sonic Beam. And then, like everyone else, put one of these weird miscellaneous notes that says, well, this power only works in this way for him. And then been done with it. To, to create his own power, especially for a character that was dead and not even well-remembered, to create a power based on it, that was kind of weird. Well, Vibe is that character that has a lot of closeted fans. Because, I'm one of them. Well, see, but for a while, well, now it's kind of cool to like Vibe, you know, because he's on TV, because uh, because it's cool to like things that were uncool. Uh, but <laughs> but you know, we started off this podcast saying that Vibe was a central character on the cover. 
So obviously, Kevin Maguire likes him for some reason. And then maybe uh, Ray Winninger uh, also likes him and gave him, there's no power for this, let's make a power, let's call it Vibe, and then other characters could have it, presumably, because he's got a brother who has the same powers, who's in the conglomerate. You know, suddenly the Vibe power is useful. You're right. Maybe he was going through a little bit of a renaissance from having died in 86 to, you know, four years later, because, as you mentioned, Reverb is this new uh, his brother, who's now part of the conglomerate. So maybe they were trying to sort of salvage that character a little bit at this point. Now, in my own street cred, I will say, I've been. you can look online, there's lots of examples of me being a Vibe fan for a long time. I am not a Johnny-come-lately with that. In fact, myself, uh, Michael Bailey, and Kelson from the, the Speed Force and, and Diablo Frank, we all teamed up several years ago, back in like 2006, maybe? No, 2009, maybe? And we did a fake uh, April Fool's Day joke. Uh, right, remember when Flash Rebirth came out? It was first a Green Lantern Rebirth and then Flash Rebirth. We, we came up, we did a whole fake thing about Vibe Rebirth being announced, and how Jeff Johns was going to write it, and it was all about you know, bringing Vibe back and all this stuff, and lo and behold, like four years later, they legitimately did it, which, uh, you know, they gave, they brought Vibe back, and almost, it was Jeff Johns writing it, we couldn't believe it, we had predicted the whole thing, so, uh, as a joke, so, I love Vibe. Now, I will say, I don't know, i got to wonder if Ray Winninger's a fan or not, because I feel like someone's taking a dig at Vibe in here by giving him the stats of artist breakdancing at only a three. Ouch! <laughs> Poor guy. Poor guy. And it's important to mention, he was the first Justice Leaguer ever killed. So sad. Uh, motivation, thrill of adventure. I agree with that. Then Vixen? Arguably the, the success story of the Justice League Detroit. And she is attractive, this one? Yes. <laughs> they didn't forget? Uh, she uses she does use sex as part of her uh, appeal. Right, and she's a uh, fashion model, and, you know, yep. that's kind of obvious. I have to say, I love characters that have animal mimicry like she does. It's one of my favorite powers in the whole game I because I love powers that, that I get to do research for because they're so mm-hmm. open-ended that I can probably make them do stuff that the game master wouldn't have figured on. Mm. Yeah, that's really my kind, my style. So... <laughs> So Animal Mimicry is is just that. So between her and Animal Man, um, you know, they keep me happy. I, I played a character with that power, and uh, it was the West End game system, but it was, you know, similar, same concept, and uh, I, I had a, a whole list of different powers I would, uh, characters I, or animals I would emulate, and um, <laughs> I had a little joke where I would say, eyes of the hawk, ears of the wolf, speed of the puma. <laughs> I was quoting, like, the, the opening of the cartoon Brave Star. Yeah. But... <laughs> But uh, I loved playing that character. He's one of my favorites. I loved that because it gives you such versatility too, without without being a game breaker, really. I mean, you can pull on almost any power, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I can breathe underwater. That's not going to break the game, you know. I didn't get X-ray vision. I didn't get teleportation. I've just got super strength, or I can dig now, or I can smell. Again, it's, it's not anything game breaking, but it gives you a lot of versatility. It's a great, great power set. Yeah, it's fun. Motivation seeking justice, and that's very fitting for her. Okay, handing it off to you somehow. We're not hitting the Bwahaha section of the uh, the chapter. Or maybe someone who has tact would say Justice League International, but whatever, you know, pick and choose. So yes, first up is Blue Beetle, and this is Ted Cord. Uh, great, you know. Of course, we everyone, and I'm not going to go into the history of him as we always we've been doing, but just things here. Um, he's got a dexterity of eight, which you know I think is pretty accurate for him. If you remember those old uh, Steve Ditko's drawings and, and Paris Collins drawings of Blue Beetle, he was always flipping around doing a lot of acrobatics. That, that works. Now I don't get why he has a thief of eight. I don't get that though. Uh, I wonder about that one. Well, thief but, is like a ninja skill, so oh, so stealth and all that's yeah. embedded in there, I suppose. Okay, all right. Now this is where you start to get into some of the Bwahaha additions to the game, whereas like he has a drawback, minor irrational attraction to attractive women. 
<laughs> Which, you know, during the JLI era, that's absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. They do include the stats for his, uh, his BB gun, is what they call it, which is his gun, which we could, uh, he could shoot a big bright flash of light at people and also a big gust of air and blow them over. And that is probably the most forgotten aspect of the character during the Justice League International era. Like, I don't know that he ever uses the gun once. Uh, maybe in one of the annuals, but that's about it. Uh, Oberon uses it. Does he really? Yeah, in Asian crossover. <laughs> oh, it's right. That's right. He finds some tiny He finds it in the closet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, uh, I wanted to mention this one because we talked about it earlier about powers, mechanical things having powers. So the bug ship, you know, the, the bug. He flies around. Everyone knows the bug. Anyway, they assign not just like. It's got a radio. They have to give it a power of, like, telepathy. It's got directional hearing, extended hearing, flight, full vision, lightning, magnetic control, radar sense, recall, sealed system, solar sustenance, super hearing, swimming, telescopic vision, ultra vision, and thief. It's like, oh, my goodness. I mean, they really get, And then his gloves, his gloves actually have telepathy, which is just their way of saying it's a radio signal that communicates with the bug. Now, I get why they do all that, but I feel like they go a pretty far out of their way to try and make that work. Yeah, I agree. The original, the first edition of the game used, like, radio communications or something, which was, you know, closer to the truth of it. But telepathy just means something that can communicate with something else at range without speaking. So uh, that's how you model signals uh, in the game. It's a little awkward. In the history, they talk about how... Um, they did a nice thing in the history here, where they sort of explained the gap. Because if you know history on Blue Beetle, he was a character owned by a company called Charlton. And he was had published adventures there. Charlton stopped publishing for a while. Blue Beetle came to DC Comics, and when his series started, he had been retired from the superhero gig for a while, and then came back to becoming a hero. And so they did a nice job sort of explaining that in the history here, which is truthfully explaining a publication gap from companies, but they did a nice job kind of smoothing that over. They talk about his greatest nemesis, which <laughs> I think, which includes Mad Men, which are fun. I like the Mad Men. They're all these multicolored guys, but they're just schmucks, really. And then it includes Overthrow as one of his major nemesis. Overthrow, the High Lie villain. I mean, oh my goodness, that's just embarrassing. He was a manhunter. Overthrow was a manhunter? He was the manhunter agent in Blue Beetle's life. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't take that guy seriously. Uh, they, in the personality, they talk about how he's always full of wisecracks, but now that Booster has left the JLI, he is a little more subdued, and his motivation is listed as upholding the good? I don't know, man. I would say during the JLI era, I would say it's more thrill of adventure. Yeah, definitely. Him and Booster are just there for fun. <laughs> All right, Captain Marvel, a.k.a. as, as we, you might know him, Shazam, but it doesn't say that, thankfully. He's Captain Marvel. Now, we talked a little bit about it. Okay, so strength of 20. He has a strength of 20, which puts him stronger than Martian Manhunter, which, mm, yeah, I could get there. But Superman at this point has a strength of tw 25. So it sounds like a five-point difference, not that big. But when you do the math, uh, again, this exponential system, that means Superman is 32 times stronger than Captain Marvel. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just putting the question out there. Is that wrong? I know there's a big difference, but I mean, it's... 32 times is a huge difference. When you say it that way. But in the in game terms, it's not. It's just one column. It's just one rank, uh, really. Yeah. So it's not a big difference. It's just to say that if they were in a fight, one would have an advantage. Yeah, but if you talk about how much they could lift, it's astronomically different. You don't think that Captain Marvel is stronger than the Martian Manhunter? Well, I'm talking about Superman and Captain Marvel. Well, you don't think that Superman is stronger than Captain Marvel? But I'm saying, according to this, he's 32 times stronger than Captain Marvel. You know, the Superman at 25 is more of a tradition than anything else. 
All, all the 25s are traditions. Superman is the, he's known as the most powerful superhero, so his strength is 25. He'll be the upper limit. No one will get higher unless it's, you know, godlike or something. But so, the same way Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, has a will of 25. Right, you know? right. He's known for willpower, he's got the 25. And so they do that kind of thing throughout, like the big iconic characters have very, very high stats and maybe they might hit a 25 or an upper human limit in the case of Batman uh, that is denied other characters. And then you go, well, is that reasonable when you compare the two? But one is more iconic than the other. And if they really did get into a uh, weightlifting competition, you can bet he would win. (laughs) I'm just, you know, I, I'd be willing to argue he could be a 22 or a 23 if Superman's a 25. <laughs> okay. But we're getting we're getting pretty nerdy here. So uh, they do not include a power for a lightning strike when he says Shazam. Uh, that can be argued either way, but it, it has certainly been used even as recently in Legends, and certainly a lot it, in the Golden Age he used it. In fact, uh, my thanks to Kyle Benning, he gave me some old Golden Age uh, reprints or, uh, of some Captain Adam uh, Marvel comics in the uh, Golden Age. I was shocked he was doing that in the Golden Age, where he'd say, like, Shazam! to cause a lightning bolt to power or something. So. Now, this is the origin here, by the way. This is the Roy Thomas, Tom Mandrake origin, which only lasted for a few years, but that's this one particular era. And, uh, and of course, Captain Marvel left the Justice League when they went international, because uh, he felt like the international status, he wasn't ready for that responsibility, because he was so new in his career. And his motivation is upholding the good, which I would agree with. Oh, yeah. Up next, we get three versions of Dr. Fate, uh, which is a bit of a handful. It's, they labeled it version one, version two, and version two and a half which is kind of funny. And this is the new Dr. Fate from the J.M.D. Mateus miniseries that was drawn by Keith Giffen, and they went on to have an ongoing monthly. A couple issues I have, like the, the original Dr. Fate, which is Kent Nelson, only has a strength of four, which I find kind of odd. Kent Nelson, he even went through a period in the Golden Age where he stopped wearing the helmet, and he only wore, like, the half helmet, and uh, they even focused on that in the All-Star Squadron comic, and he basically was, like, a Superman kind of character. He could fly, he was impervious, he was super strong, uh, and that's when he wasn't using magic anymore. And so I would say he definitely should have super strength. Sorcery of 40? Wow! That's why! That's the original uh, That's the original Dr. Fate. Sorcery of 40. That's amazing. Like, you talk about 25 being the uh, the, the benchmark, yeah. I guess 40 is another benchmark, too. We'll see from time to time. And uh, I, it's interesting, they do point out here that if you put the helmet on, if you don't have a spirit of six APs, you'll be driven insane. Which, uh, of course, we saw that in Legends just recently when um, Glorious Godfrey put on the helmet and went nuts. And I, I don't know if six APs is the right number to have, but, you know, you got to have something in there. Now, then you get into Dr. Fate 2, which was Linda St- Eric and Linda Strauss. Uh, I do like that they have they have a pet, Petey the Demon. I love the Dr. Fate ongoing series, so it makes me happy to see Petey mentioned. And then they have Dr. Fate 2 and a half, which is just Linda, because Eric had died. It was kind of a firestorm situation. Eric and Linda would form together, physically merge to become Dr. Fate. Well, Eric dies, so now Linda's doing it on her own, so she's actually a female version of Dr. Fate, and uh, they list her as Dr. Fate two and a half. And the reason she's specifically mentioned in here was because she had appeared in the Teasdale Imperative, which was a Justice League International crossover, so she really was part of Justice League International, so they felt like it was worth putting her in here. And they have a motivation, which is responsibility of power, which I totally agree with. Eyes, white slits... <laughs> really? To say that? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Yeah. That's so funny. And instead of hair, it says helmet yellow. That's perfect. <laughs> and we get to Guy Gardner, and the image here is from uh, Justice League International number seven, I think it was, when Guy got bonked on the head and changed personalities, and he became a really nice guy, forgive the pun, 
And uh, that's the image here where he's he's whistling a carpenter song. One of the drawbacks listed on Guy Gardner. Everyone knows Guy Gardner, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about him. But uh, drawback of serious rage, which I love. That's great. That explains perfectly when he you know, just goes nuts. And yeah, the funny part though is rage isn't exactly right because like when he loses it and starts beating people up, he's having the time of his life. So it's <laughs> it's it's not so much rage because he just loves it, but he does act like he's in a rage by just destroying everything. So. Yeah. In the game, it means uh, he goes into killing combat, and uh, he he does do that. I think Guy Gardner does that gleefully. Yep. So. Uh, now there is a thing here in the origin where and Guy Gardner was trapped in another dimension at one point after Hal this is before he was really a Green Lantern very often he was like the backup Green Lantern yeah, Hal's lantern exploded and pushed Guy into another dimension now I've noticed this particular source book it really skimps on the sex stuff and so there's no mention here that uh, while Guy was in this other dimension and he could see the real world that he that Guy was forced to watch Hal Jordan stooping his girlfriend uh, a guy had to watch it, and that's part of what drove him insane. And uh, they don't mention anything about that at all. You would have thought they might have made something stat-wise about his getting bonked on the head and that period that right. that they do show. You know, good point. Something in the drawbacks where for a time he was brain damaged, or for a time he's always been brain damaged ever yeah. since those events. So none of that here. Well, they I like how they describe the whole one punch thing. It says he talks about there was a fist fight. Where Batman caused uh, a temporary personality change. You want to be you know, to be a little specific here. It wasn't a fist fight. It was simply Batman knocking him out with one punch, and um, that didn't cause the personality change. What caused the personality change is Guy Gardner crawls under a table, sees a mouse, and gets scared and bonks his head. That's what caused the personality change. And maybe maybe it was a mo- combination of all these things, but still to be a little specific. Now his motivation was thrill of adventure. That's pretty fair, but. I almost feel like if you could tweak some of these, uh, uh, some of the motivations, it would be like a narcissistic version of responsibility of power. It would really be him because he's he thinks he's the best at everything. So he thinks he's got to be out there saving everybody because he's the best. Yeah, the the Blood of Heroes edition of the game uh, actually introduced anti-hero motivations. Right. Uh, so I think Guy Gardner would probably fall into one of those. Really. All right. Up next is Mister Miracle. And uh, he's got a dexterity of 11, which is, wow, which you know, it, it, it puts him, if you do the math, like eight times better than Blue Beetle, which is probably fair. I mean, think about all of the escapes he does, his acrobatics and stuff. He's, he's really, just truly an amazing character. I always think of this one in Justice League Annual number 1 where he gets, falls off a building, and there's these great series of panels where he's falling, and as he's falling, he does a flip, he grabs the discs off his back, puts them under his feet, they're anti-gravity discs, and he flies away. It's just this amazing series of panels, and I always think about that when I think about him. Yeah. He's also got a spirit of ten, which I can really, which I can believe, given you know the High Father and all that type of stuff with the New Gods. And spirit's an interesting one. I just want to mention because by comparison, most of the heroes have a spirit of five, and spirit is like your, your, it's a mystical stat, but it's also sort of like your, how would you decide? It's your defense, I guess, from mystical, but it's also sort of like your spirituality. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, but it's also your defense against. Manipulation. Oh, okay. Right? It's, there you go. Yeah, it's your social stat. So okay. it's your resistance to persuasion and interrogation and um, intimidation. Well, that explains why Batman's a 10. Yeah. Okay. Because most characters are a 5. 
in, in this book. There's a few exceptions. Again, he's one of them. All the mystical folks have very high versions. Uh, Guy Gardner's is a little higher. That explains it. If it's intimidation or persuasion, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Uh, Red Tornadoes was a little higher. He's got a calm center, you know. Yeah, yes, very much so. Uh, he's got a thief skill of 13, which I think is a good call as well. He's got the drawback. It's funny. This is where some of the JLI stuff comes in. It says, drawback married. And then parentheses says, more of a drawback for Barda than Scott, really. Which is <laughs> <Just> funny. <laughs> and then... um I think you should have an irrational attraction to escape tricks, you know, escape stuff like that, personally, based on the way they describe him. This is one place where they mention something that they don't have in here. They actually say he's got a mother box, but they tell you you have to go look in the Apocalypse source book for that. Why not just put it and down here? Maybe there's pages and pages of, of information. I, I, I haven't looked in the Apocalypse source book in a long time, so I don't know. The mother box can do a lot, yeah. so I'm sure, yeah. but I mean, you could at least have a little sad box here. And then uh, they list the stats for the MangaCon version of him that was a robot on Earth for a while. And uh, his motivation is thrill of adventure. That's probably right. I don't know. I was kind of thinking upholding the good, but eh, it might be thrill of adventure. I don't know. The performing side of it certainly is. Yeah. Again, a performer who just gets into scrapes. <laughs> Up next is Dr. Light 2. Now, this is Kimio, uh, not not the evil Dr. Light. And uh, I wanted to mention here, they do talk about she got... It's something I didn't realize, because, you know, she's in Crisis on Infinite Earths, and that's when she gets her powers. And uh, she was created by Marv Wolfman. And I didn't pick up on it until I was reading this, and it says she was observing the star Vega when this happened. Damn it, Marv Wolfman! You and your Omega Men. You just <laughs> won't stop. <laughs> Never put that together. Anyway, uh, it does say here, which I thought was odd, it says she, because remember, she, she famously quit the Justice League. She threw her signal device at Maxwell Lord and stormed out. It was great. It was, br- it was beautiful. But it says here she now works for the JLI Japanese Embassy doing scientific and medical research. I don't remember that. I mean, obviously, in my read-through, I'll find out if that's true or not, but that seemed like a big, bit of a jump. And then, uh, motivation of unwanted power. Well, she doesn't want to yeah. be a superhero. True. And she's one of those superheroes that's known for being extremely rude and bossy and not pleasant, uh, which changes when she joins Justice League Europe. They actually make her, they start her off as a very mousy character in Justice League Europe when she joins there, and eventually kind of comes into her own as, like, a leader kind of character. But the whole rude, nasty, bossy, unpleasant person thing's gone when she starts there. Up next is Booster Gold. Hooray. He's got a dexterity of six, which at first I didn't really agree with. I could see some skills related to acrobatics while flying, but in general, a dexterity of six? I wasn't sure. It seemed like that's pretty high. Then I remembered he played football when he was younger. Uh, I like he's got a minor irrational attraction to attractive women and or money. Perfect. Makes sense. They do talk about the conglomerate. They talk about the Legion Flight Ring, which, here's a funny bit here where the Legion Flight Ring has super ventriloquism, which is basically a superpower representing radios, but it says nobody in the 20th century can pick it up. (laughs) Just cute. I would say uh, he needs an advantage here of skeets, I would say, or buddy. Maybe it's buddy that he needs for skeets. And then I could argue the other side of it, too, and say it's actually sort of fitting that in the Justice League source book, skeets isn't mentioned because he pretty much never appears in the Justice League International era. He's replaced by Blue Beetle, which is kind of too bad. I, I always felt that Skeets was a natural comedy thing. You know? Yeah. It would have worked in that I guess he becomes Elrond. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I asked uh, J.M. DiMatteis about it uh, on Twitter one time about why they didn't use Skeets. And and they said at that point when they added Blue, uh, Booster Gold to the team, he didn't even know Skeets existed. Oh. So that's why they missed it at first. But you would think after a while that he would have kind of found a way to work him in. But you mentioned earlier about Martian Manhunter and the personality and how it says it changes with the Justice League International era. They did kind of the same thing here where they talked about his he has mood swings which is really a good way to describe his behavior in jli versus his behavior everywhere else <laughs> you know in his own book he's kind of a stand-up guy i mean he's sure he's motivated by money but he's still a stand-up hero here he's you know he's a joke 
So that's how they kind of describe it as mood swings. And then uh, his motivation is thrill of adventure, which makes sense. However, when I was doing the game, I actually came up with two motivations on my own. And and, and it sounds like maybe the anti-hero stuff may have covered some of these, but I came up with one specifically thinking about Booster Gold that I called financial gain or notoriety. Right. And I think that sort of would be fitting for him. Yeah, I think the way the anti-hero stat, I haven't checked those in a while, but I think the anti-hero motivations work are like, let's take villainous, like he would have mercenary, but anti-hero. Okay. So he's in it for the money and for wealth and fame, which is a villainous motivation, but also for the good. So sure. that's how they kind of play it. Where a guy gardener might be psychopath. Right. Anti-hero. All right, Captain Adam, strength of 22, which puts him four times stronger than Captain Marvel. And I started thinking about it. Captain Adam, Captain Marvel, which one's stronger? That's a tough one. I don't know. Who, who would you put on top? I put Captain Marvel on top. I think Captain I Adam think so. Captain Adam has other skill sets, has other powers. He's not normally used as a brick. So he's a energy blaster. That's what he is. So that's where you should be putting your points when you're building the character. You don't need that strength. I don't think writers use him as a super strong character. You know, that's not the go-to thing. And they also didn't give him time travel. Well, they did. They they, they gave well, him this quantum jump. They they tied it to his uh energy his absorption. Energy absorption. They said if he absorbs more than twelve APs, he bumps forward the number of APs absorbed. Which is interesting. But yeah, they decided to model it that way, but then not make any reference to time travel, which is another power, which would have made that if you were actually building this character would have made him cost prohibitive <laughs> oh that's true yeah. yeah well with the number of limitations they only travel forward you know tied linked to the energy absorption yeah, yeah, yeah would have been tough um, there's a big thing in here. There's in here where they talk about how he had you know, his fake background. They say he, the JLI had made, made aware of his fake background. Well, that never actually happened in the JLI comics. That happened in the Captain Adam comics. So uh, this, these footnotes have now led me to I'm going to go seek out a comic book to read because I need to find out when the JLI actually finds out about his background. So thank you, footnotes. Appreciate that. And motivation of unwanted power. Hmm. Yeah, but he was experimented on, but by this point... Yeah, he's upholding the good by now. So. You'd think. Oh, well. Rocket Red number 13, our buddy Dimitri. Everyone loves him. Uh, he has a spirit of three, one of the lowest in the JLI, and I started wondering if, like, thinking the spirituality, I wonder if that's representative of the Soviet Union's prohibition on religion. Or maybe he's just easily persuaded. I, don't know. I think this is a persuasion thing. He's naive. He's easy to, to fool. He thinks the best of people. So he would yeah. be easy to fast talk, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, I, I, the names are can be, like, misleading. but You're probably right. I just was going that way because I'd like to think about that stuff. Uh, I do like they included the original Rocket Red armor. I love the original Rocket Red armor. It's, like, my favorite. And then uh, they have the miscellaneous drawback about his new armor. The Apocalypse armor still might hold some more secrets. And the quote is very funny. Hokey smokes. Am I not enough to make Calvin Fine green with envy? I love Dimitri. <laughs> Motivation, responsibility of power. That makes sense. Great character. Up next is Green Flame or Fire. Previously even Green Fury. Uh, Charisma of eight. So that seems reasonable. Maybe should be higher because she's, you know, pretty much everyone falls over themselves to do whatever she wants because she's so sexy, which is where the attractive uh, advantage comes in. Makes perfect sense. I do like that they gave her, at this point, she's got kind of, she she moved from having, originally she could spit a flame that went like eight inches. That was her power. Seriously, she could spit a little flame that went eight inches. That was it. Uh, how she got in the Justice League makes no sense. But then after Invasion, uh, she becomes basically a green human torch. And uh, they do put in here, she's got the limitation of a serious burnout with all of her powers, which is cool. Uh, advantages uh, probably should be something in there about her spy community, because she was a, you know, a spy person. And it is worth pointing out, she has an intelligence of six. That is not something people usually think about with fire, because she's very cunning and she's very clever. And yet everyone was sort of, uh, because sex is such a, a dominant trait that she, you know, 
purposefully uses, people don't necessarily think about her intelligence quite often. And sadly, no picture of her. Ooh, good point. That's right. That would have been a nice bonus. Neither uh, fire nor ice. Yeah? Okay, motivation, thrill of adventure, which makes sense. And I do like that they acknowledge she's a little more self-interested than most heroes. <laughs> and has a well-developed sense of vanity. <laughs> Up next is Ice Maiden, or Ice. Uh, I think she's missing an advantage here. I think she should have like advantage of ice prin- or princess, because wasn't she like a royalty in her in her native tribe? I think. Uh, I like how it talks about how she dated Guy Gardner and she is cured of her misapprehensions about Guy. <laughs> Motivation upholding the good, which makes sense for her as well. Love fire and ice. Up next, everyone's favorite Nort. Uh, intelligence of one. Ouch. Makes sense though. Serious irrational attraction to stupidity, and uh, there's some more funny bits in here. Like you know, Nort does not have a JLI signal device, much to the relief of the JLI members. His motivation is nothing better to do. He's got a wealth of zero. Uh, his home sector, which I never noticed, was 2112. That's got to be a reference to the Rush album. Anyway, uh, they say there's no creature larger than an amoeba in his sector, and of course his arch enemy is the Scarlet Skier, which I like here that they said uh, caused trouble for about two minutes. <laughs> the JLA, and his personality says one word: stupid. Well, you'd have to have a uh, a sector that was empty if the your Green Lantern is the guy that has a willpower of twelve, abominably low for a Green Lantern. That's true. That's true. He calls it a ringy dingy too, by the way, which oh, cracks me up. Terrible. <laughs> up next is one of uh, my favorite and yours. Animal Man, and uh, another person like Vixen who has the animal control powers. They do make a big deal here. It's interesting. They have, they have this huge section dedicated to him where they talk about I like about uh, an insect rule, and I like how they actually, we've just noticed, they actually write that in there. We've just noticed that it doesn't talk about insects. So they come up with this cool rule about insects where you can pretty much mimic any insect and get seven APs out of that. So if you mimic uh, an ant, you can get a strength of 7 APs, or you mimic um, you know, any other kind of insect, you can use that ability at 7 APs, which yeah. is neat. I like that. It's the Spider-Man rule. There you go. Yeah, I love this addition. Um, I think they should probably have something in his skills or advantages about his, uh, something related to Stuntman, whether it be acrobatics or demolitions or something. Probably should also have something about uh, an irrational attraction to protecting animals, I would also say. Probably makes sense. Uh, and and the, way, the way he's written right here is there's some different limitations. Like, they give him certain limitations that are very specific to a period in his character. Like, uh, they say that he used to have this limitation, he doesn't have it anymore as of Animal Man number 19, which uh, is specific to the Grant Morrison run. And at this point, he's right in the middle of the Peter Milligan run. So it's, uh, it's interesting. And they do mention Grant Morrison, sort of. They say that he went through Crisis 2 and met his maker. By that, they actually talking about the, the big shocking conclusion of the Animal Man series. Yep. And motivation is upholding the good. I feel like it's more like responsibility of power, for, uh, but really for the animals. That's just me. I would agree. Okay, yeah. wow, you're not going to no-prize that one. I'm impressed. I agree with you. Take it. Someone write that down. That never happens. Up next is Flash 3, Wally West. This is when he was part of the Justice League Europe, and he's got a super speed of 10. Now, this is the early days, folks. Remember, Barry Allen was 25, and uh, this is the early days. He's only at a 10. This is before Mark Waid really started ramping up his powers. Uh, I don't know what his Wally West speed was by the end of the uh, Meg system, but I imagine it's probably higher than 25. The, the speed force stuff, at least 25. He's got a drawback of serious irrational attraction to food. While that's funny, and he does have to eat a lot, I don't know that you would call it irrational, though. It'd be like a serious attraction, but irrational? Not really irrational. He needs it. He's fuel. Anyway, uh, I like how he tries to come off as suave and noncommittal and worldly, but usually achieves the exact opposite, which is fitting, because at this point in JLE, he's a really almost unlikable character. He's money-hungry, and he's very pervy, especially towards Power Girl. And they also talk about he's very sensitive about comparisons between himself and Barry Allen, which was something going on where Elongated Man, every chance he got, he would compare Wally to Barry. 
And it was funny in the comic. Uh, he had responsibility, powers, motivation. Now, I, I mentioned I can't come up with two motivations of my own. The other one I had come up with was uh, responsibility of legacy. And I felt like that would qualify for, like, Wally, qualified for Black Panther, you know, stuff like that. And yeah. I felt like uh, that, that would have been appropriate here. That's a good one. I don't think I've ever seen that in any, uh, any other role-playing games, like legacy stuff. Not really. Metamorpho. Probably should have something in here about, like, archaeology as a skill, I would say. Uh, and this is also the era when he, he was... He was very different in Just League Europe than he was in Outsiders. And uh, one of his favorite things to do in JLE was he would watch the French version of the Three Stooges. That's how he was learning to speak French. So I think uh, I think they could have had languages, French, you know, for him here. Would have made sense. <laughs> and he could have had connections to Batman and Markovia and the Outsiders, all of that. None of that is listed, which you would have really liked, I'm sure. Uh, well, they didn't give it to Elongated Man because he's one of the few who could speak French. No, they didn't. It's mentioned later on, I think, in the... Catherine Cabal section, who could speak French on the team. They just didn't give them their, their, those skills. And uh, the thing about Metamorpho, his power is, again, complete game-breaker. It's like Firestorm. It's just his power is so versatile, he can do just about anything. So it uh, could be a real game-breaker in real game terms. I, I couldn't imagine having to deal with that as a game master. Hey, my last Supers game, I had a Green Lantern on staff. Oof. So that's... Is that brick? That was brick, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, motivation for him is thrill of adventure, which makes perfect sense. Now, moving on to Power Girl. This is after uh, Power Girl got injured in early issues of Justice League Europe, and they she had to have emergency surgery performed by Superman, and it actually lowered her power level. She became less powerful. And uh, at this point, afterwards, she has a strength of 20. That's after she became less powerful, which puts her at the same level as Captain Marvel. And I would say at her lower power level, Captain Marvel should be stronger than her. I don't I don't buy that. Yeah, no, I... It's like we were seeing the original power levels. They weren't adjusted. I think so. It feels like it. Yeah. Even though they talk about how it was. So um, I feel like she should have an advantage, a connection to Superman. Because at, you know, at one point they did believe they were cousins. You know, Talks about her new costume. Even though they show her here in her very, very original costume. Uh, and then uh, personality, powerful, conflicts with Captain Adam. Uh, she conflicts with Captain Adam quite a bit. Very feminist. And motivations, upholding the good. Which seems reasonable. Up next is... Wonder Woman with, comparatively, we've talked a lot about strength here, strength of only 16. She wasn't played up as so super strong in the uh, in post-crisis. It's four times less than, than Martian Manhunter. Is, is that the math? Yeah, yeah, four times less than Martian Manhunter. That's true. So maybe when Perez was writing her, like, eventually she would certainly become like oh, just yeah. almost as strong as super. So less, weaker than Power Girl? I don't, I don't buy that. So there's a whole bit here where it says, after careful consideration, she recently decided that joining the new European branch of JLI might put her in a better position to fulfill this mission uh, of being a peace, but insisted in participating only in a part-time basis. Uh, let's face it, folks. Wonder Woman lasted in the Justice League Europe for half of an issue and a couple of panels in other comic books. That was it. By this point, Dr. Light had actually seen yeah. more action with the Justice League International than Wonder Woman did. Why she is featured as a member? I don't get it. They put a, should have put her under allies and just been done with it because it's just... Uh, I get they want to put her in here. It's Wonder Woman. It's Justice League, you know? But they should have put her under allies and been done with it. Motivation upholding the good. Absolutely. Coming down to our last two characters here, uh, and this is the bulk of the, the podcast, really. It's going to be this stuff. But Huntress, they do talk about... And this is post-crisis Huntress. This is not the daughter of Batman. This is, you know, the, the mob boss daughter. They talk about how Max invited her to join, and she declined, and Max used his mental powers to push her into joining, which was a pretty horrifying thing when she did that. But there is a bit in here where they say she used she uses a rough brain of justice, a quality that Batman admires. They actually say that, which is sort of ironic, because all through the 90s, Batman kept you know treating her like crap, yeah. because he kept saying she went too far. And um, motivation seeking justice. 
makes sense. And then there's a Crimson Fox. Ah, that's right. Major TV star about to appear in the, appear in the TV, uh, the pilot to Powerless. So uh, you can see pictures of her online. Doesn't look exactly like her costume in this, but that's okay. She's a French superhero, uh, Le Renard Rouge, I guess is how you say that. Is that right? Close enough. And at this point, even though they tell you what her name is, they tell you that there's a mystery of where she comes from and why she became a crime fighter. And so it's just kind of strange that it's like they gave you the name, but there's mysteries behind her still? That's weird. And um, what they don't know, and sorry, this is spoilers for a 30-year-old comic, I guess, is that it will later be revealed she's actually identical twins. So sometimes she's in her secret identity, and sometimes she's Crimson Fox, and they're actually together, even though it's really the same person, and they, they play with the, the, the identical twin thing. So and it talks about here how she flirts with Captain Adam, and she's seeking justice. Who would be the next? Oof. If there was one more page, who was next? Oh, gosh. Um, you know? General Glory, maybe? Oh, wow. Could be. Yeah, It's right, it's right in that era. So We dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. All right, then we go into Chapter 3, which is uh, How It Works, um, which talks about basically the, the formation, the organizations, if you will, about Justice League America, Justice League International. Um, I love this section. You know how Of I... course you do. Oh, my gosh, of course you I didn't want to, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> uh, well, there is a question of my being very fond of the Legion of Superheroes Constitution. Oh, my gosh. As, he just as you know. lives on this stuff. And, uh, you know, I've, I've worked for uh, organizations for a long time, and, you know, I've drafted charters, <laughs> several of them, in fact. Uber nerd. Yeah, I, I love this stuff. This is the kind of stuff that you won't find anywhere else than in a source book like this. You might hear the information a little bit here, a little bit there, according to our charter, and you know they're making it up as they go along in the comics. But to find them all under the same, in the, on the same page, collected as one piece, only source books do this kind of thing. We saw it with the Atlas of the DC Universe. You know, let's get some of that really behind the scenes kind of thing in, within the world of the superheroes. This is long, especially the piece about the Just League of America. Oh yeah, but it's uh, it used to be a two-page charter that ballooned up to five trust me a five-page document is nothing it's true so that's funny to me unless it was made for superman's microscopic vision or you know like really small (laughs) font it has game consequences so it says for example that according to the charter the justice league members have a connection to the are working for the un uh, so they've immediately gain a low-level connection to the united nations uh and then there's some stuff like if ever a justice leaguer dies the united nations pays a million dollar insurance policy thing uh there's a limit to 12 members. I didn't know this because a lot of them just never showed up and Aquaman had to just blow up the whole thing. The JLI, well, let's just say that the JLI doesn't really believe in rules. <laughs> and then, Which is, you know, that's got the very, very loose rules that they do follow, but that Maxwell Lord understands, but nobody on the team follows because they've never been really told <laughs> that there are rules. <laughs> It's hilarious. It's funny, but at the same time, it's like, I would think that the organization that's in control of itself, which is JL of A, would have less rules than the organization that's controlled by the United Nations. You would think the United Nations one would have, like, you know, the, the, the Sokovia Accords level of charter, you know? 
But uh, apparently not. Yeah. It, they, you talked about Max. Not only does Max be the only one who understands it, he's got like stuff hidden in the in there that talks about like he has to officially endorse any new members, and he can appoint anyone to the Justice League at any point he wants. Which he did. He has complete power. Which he often oh, did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do like how they talk about. Um, and this is Justice League International. When you join in Justice League International, you get a security system for your home with a security level of nine APs, which uh, was all demonstrated in that Animal Man uh, issue, where that which was hilarious. And you also get a wealth of four APs. Which is nice. You get an income, which they they made a big deal about. With uh, Wally West wanted to make sure he was getting paid. It's important. And they uh, and they even under Justice League of America, they even reprint the old Justice League of America hereby elects and you fill in the blank, yeah. you know, to membership for life. Blah blah with all that stuff. They actually reprint that whole little thing there with the the eagle image and everything, which is nice. That's cool. Yeah. No, I like this section. It's the kind of thing you might skip over easily, but it's full of little bits and you know trivia. I really like it. Okay. I, I did notice here. There's a note for uber nerds like you that it says much of this uh, chapter was based upon the Justice League essay that appeared in, and this is like almost, it's not quite a fanzine. It was published by DC Comics, but it's called The Amazing World of DC Comics number 14, March 1977. So that seems like something you got to get your hands on, buddy. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Up next is chapter four, Friends and Allies. And uh, so these are friends, people that, you know, hang out with the Justice League. We've talked about some of them. We're, we'll breeze through this fairly quickly. But it is worth pointing out, after all the talk that we have seen so far about the conglomerate, no stats for the conglomerate. Exactly, no stats, yeah. No stats for Praxis, Maximan, Reverb, Echo, or Vapor. Not that anybody even remembers any of those characters today, so maybe it's okay, but uh, it's interesting to point that out. Yeah, no, they keep mentioning them quite a lot, and they're just not here. Bizarre. Uh, we do get Luca, uh, Lucas, yeah, yeah, we, well, Snapper Car. I guess his, his real name is Lucas. And like you said, it's, uh, you know, Invasion and later, he's got Teleportation 45. That's why you had to get that blaster special oh, to find man. that out. Easily ignored a piece of history. Oh, yeah. Nobody likes Snapper Car. Pretty true. Yeah, okay. Uh, also in here, we get uh, other allies from the classic era, including uh, Adam Strange, practically an honorary member uh, early on, uh, the Phantom Stranger. One thing about Phantom Stranger, it's weird for me to see stats for Phantom Stranger. Like, he just he seems so indefinable. To, to quantify his stats, it's sort of like when we found got stats in uh, the Magic Source books for, like, Sandman. You know, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. It's like, really? I don't know that I should have those. I don't feel like I should I yeah. don't feel like I should have those stats. <laughs> they should just be plot devices. Yeah. You know. Like death. Yeah, the forces of nature really or you know forces of the universe shouldn't be shouldn't have stats necessarily, but at the same time Defendant Stranger did kind of, you know, throw a punch here and there. He's <laughs> an odd he's an odd one. And for uh, the Justice League Detroit era, we get Dale Gunn, sex, sexy sexy Dale Gunn. Well, he needs that attractive, I'm telling he you. He doesn't Both, have uh, yeah. Vixen and uh, Zatanna were crawling all over each other to get to him. Yep. So Dale Gunn and Mother Wyndham, who is like a community leader in, in, uh, in those books, uh, both get stats, which is kind of a surprise. Not for Dale Gunn. I, I mean, I would have insisted he'd be there. But Mother Wyndham, really? Yeah, it, it was surprising to see your stats, yeah. Uh, then you get into the Justice League International era, you get Maxwell Lord. The only things I would say there is they gave him an intelligence of 11. Sorry, folks. No way. Absolutely not. There's no way he should have an intelligence of 11. That puts him smarter than every scientist in this entire book. 
I would say he should be much lower, maybe a six, a seven, but give him really high skills, you know, uh, give him, you know, charisma and, and scholar in business and politics and stuff like that and make that an 11, sure. But no way he should have intelligence. I don't buy that. I don't know. You, you can argue if you want. Push him as a, like, a supreme, a mastermind uh, kind of character, half as smart as Batman. I wonder if that is really just a function to allow his mental power to work better oh yeah using int as his um active yeah maybe maybe what is that power they say it's telepathy 15 but it, it would morph into control maybe his powers aren't quite set yet there's no nosebleeds here well he oh they should mention the nosebleeds shouldn't they yeah it's only he has the power to communicate with others subconscious mind so i guess he's using the power of suggestion I mean, this is misleading telepathy is about communication both ways he's got more mental control yeah he's got the control power except he's using and then gets nosebleeds when he does it this is all not there we're not there yet yeah we should because invasions when it all happened so it's been 20 issues so uh then you get stats for oberon you get stats for sue dibney Catherine cobert okay so they gave her scholar French language. This is the kind of thing I was talking about. The characters that get statted up later, they went specific on. Now, I would take issue with this. I don't think she should have scholar French language. I think she should have scholar English language, because French is her native language. Yes, agreed. Also, she needs, like, scholar fashion, because the Who's Who entries would point out that she was actually, like, a fashion icon in Paris. Like, people looked to see what she was wearing to decide what they were going to wear. And then, um, is it possible to have the attractive uh, advantage multiple times? Because Catherine Colbert has my heart. She's just so hot and so stunning and beautiful and smart and attractive and sexy and, (laughs) oof, man. My heart goes a flutter. And, uh, of course, Kilowog is in here. If you don't know, if you're a recent comic reader, you may not realize this, because most people know Kilowog as the Green Lantern drill sergeant, right? But for years, he was the handyman for the Justice League International, and he was beloved. Uh, everyone loves Kilowog from the Justice League era, and it's so nice to see him in here. The supporting cast of the Justice League International gets a lot of love in here, and it's perfectly appropriate because Justice League is about really what happens between yes. the fights, between the superhero adventures. So the supporting cast is very, very important. And those characters were just as loved as the superheroes themselves. And that, that's a good way to put it. That is exactly what it was. It was they, were, they were more concerned with uh, Friday night was pizza night at the embassy than stopping Despero. So uh, you get into the reserve members, and then there's this one guy. I don't know. I don't think he ever made much of himself, but he's called Superman. I don't know. Uh yeah, well, at least he gets, like, the biggest hero shot in the whole book. Yes. Yes, he does. And the art there is by uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise, praise be, his, be name. his name. And uh, this is where I think it's interesting, because this is obviously the post-crisis, you know, the Man of Steel era of Superman, right? So in that era, Superman was never a member of the Justice League of America. Uh, they'd offered it, but he always said he'd be around to help if they needed him. Now, remember Batman. We talked about Batman. They were very vague about Batman. They basically, in the history, earlier in the book, they went from, like, he joined the team to he quit the team, like that, right? Here, they cite four specific pre-crisis adventures where Superman helped out the Justice League. They, they mention the adventure itself, and they cite the issue. And I don't know why they picked those four adventures to say, oh, Superman was there for these four adventures. It's kind of odd. You know, they can't win if Superman's not there for these. There could have been some reference, you know, maybe in, in the John Byrne Superman issues, oh, that time I helped them fight, you know, Starbreaker, or something, I don't know, whatever. I remember a panel, a flashback panel to the Starbreaker story <laughs> in post-crisis comics. Okay. So Superman is on that, is in that panel. Someone but, did their research. Wow. 
Okay. I'm, we don't need to talk about Superman anymore. I mean, it's he's Superman. He's you know his, just like Batman. His stats appeared oh, yeah. everywhere. Uh, up next is Big Barda, of course, uh, Mr. Miracle's wife. I would argue she could almost be in the JLI member section, and she should have the. I think she should have the advantage of attractive, or at the very least, some sort of uh, advantage for intimidating. Uh, maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> and then, uh, then the creeper. Damn it, the creepers in here. Jack Ryder and the creeper are both, and. Uh, I don't get why this guy's a reservist. Whatever. If he's here, fine. But they do talk about how he harps in the Justice League on TV to gain ratings. So, let's move on. Next big section is the bad... Chapter 5, the bad guys. So, you want to walk us through quickly the uh, Justice League classic bad guys, and I'll cover the international ones? Sure. We start with the... Arguably the chronologically first opponents of the Justice League, part of their secret origin. The Appalachians. So, they're basically... Aliens, well, alien avatars that have elemental components. There's a stone man, a glass man, a mercury blob, a fire man, a diamond man, a wood man, a giant bird. Uh, and the Just League fought these guys, and it's the reason they, they came together in that first story, even though it's not the first comic story ever published with the Just League in it. Because that one featured Star Wars the Conqueror, who is next. I just want to say the Appalachians. I freaking hate I freaking hate yes. it. Like every time they show up in a comic, I just tune out. The only comic I can stand them in is Justice League uh, JLA Year One. That's it. I just ugh, can't stand those characters. It's I mean they're forgettable. It's just another alien invasion. They bring them back. Oh, uh, like every I, couple years they got to do or every anniversary they have to come. Justice League uh, JLA Two Hundred. They fought them there. Uh, Star of the Conqueror is of course the, that giant starfish, and um, it's actually one of his. <laughs> occupations. He's a starfish slash galactic conqueror. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you come from the Silver Age when you, you have a uh, a drawback that is uh, fatal vulnerability to garden lime. You know, I was in Home Depot recently and I was supposed to buy, I didn't buy it, but I was supposed to buy some of that and I thought, you know what, I could buy a box of those and beat up Starro. Yep. Easily. Apparently so. <laughs> well, you, as good as Snapper Car. That's, you know, that's right. his claim to fame. Professor Ivo, who uh, created the uh, Android Amazo, both of them are included in the collection here. There's also stats for his more generic androids, and uh, these guys are actually were in the second Justice League story I ever bought and read. Would that be the uh, 218? Oh, I was thinking about the, uh, the, the Legend stuff. There's some robots in there, too. No, the Justice League of America 218 has these distinctive robots, or blue and red. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the first comics I ever got. So they're near to my uh, heart. And uh, it's also the, the issue where they reveal that Professor Ivo is, like, deformed. Oh, right. Okay. That his serum has made his face melt. Uh, and, of course, he would wind up killing Just Sleep yeah. Detroit. He's that guy. And uh, then he went on to star in Doctor Who Time Lash. So. <laughs> right, that's just a joke for me and Cisco. Just anyway. for us. <laughs> Uh, Amazo presumably uh, ad, you know adjusted to remove some of the founding the original founding members of the Justice League from his uh, stats. Oh, didn't he think about that? Yeah, good point. Yeah, it doesn't show much. I mean, he doesn't have he wouldn't have the magic lasso, for example. Adaptation of forty. Well, he's got to be able to adapt, you know, Sorcery 40 or whatever oh, it is. X-ray uh, vision. Doc- he's got X-ray vision. Uh-oh. Well, Superman, probably, sh- Superman Mar- probably showed up for one of those adventures, too. <laughs> no, no, no. How does Martian vision work? Or is that just like a heat oh, vision? Oh, gosh. I don't know that we care enough. <laughs> you know, I'm flipping back, of course, to the Martian Manhunter to make sure. Now, yeah, Martian Manhunter is X-ray vision 8. Fair enough. Dr. Destiny. And this is a weird one. Oh, yeah. Because they show his, the, they're just like two half pages pulled from a Sandman comic where, you know, it's like very horror-y where he eats a bug. Yep. So that's odd because that's not a Justice League story. Uh, so they don't show him as this Skeletor guy 
from uh, from the Justice League. And a lot of these guys, there's him, and then there's um, just in two two entries, there's Professor Amos Fortune as well. And basically, these guys are smart, evil men. And then instead of their powers, you look at the gadgets. They're always got like some sort of world breaking gadget with omni power or whatever. I'm sorry, the Justice League fought a lot of unmemorable Morty type characters. They really did. Amos Fortune? But if you, if you look at like the Avengers uh, villains I, in the early Justice... Now, I'm going to piss somebody off by saying that, but in the early Justice League villains, there's no comparison, guys. The Avengers have got it all over the Justice League with bad guys. Yeah. You talk about the Doctor Destiny thing. I, the only thing I want to add to that is just this was still really early days for the Neil Gaiman Sandman series. I mean, they're probably still in their first year of publication, I think. No one really knew what to do with it. They didn't... You know, it's like, well, it's in the DC Universe, clearly. And so at this point, they hadn't sort of said, you know, shunted him off to his own corner and said, well, it's in the DC Universe, but we're just letting him do his own thing. At this point, they were still trying to integrate everything. And so I think that's why Doctor... And that yeah. was, this was Doctor Destiny's most recent appearance. It's just totally yeah. off from the rest Man, of the it's an amazing comic. Uh, that issue... Oh. One villain that isn't a Mort, Despero, yep. or Despero, or whatever, however you're supposed to, wherever you're supposed to put the emphasis. And Despero here is, well, I don't know. It's odd, because the last we saw of Despero, even at this point, was the big bruiser, the big, you know, the Hulk. This is, because there was Despero before. He went through the Flame of Pitar, which happened in the Just League Detroit era, and then Despero afterwards. There are very clear distinctions. His fin even changes direction, so you're able to <laughs> visual cue. But yeah, he yeah. is a massive, lumbering dude, and there is no way the post-Flame of Pitar, Despero, has a strength of six. No way. That's it. This is the character as he first appeared, where he was like the third eye and just like a you know a normal-sized guy. Playing chess. Yeah, that guy. Because here, yeah, so the, and there's no, there's mention of it, but there's no in the stats. They don't acknowledge the hulking brute that would basically decimate the Justice League International and go to toe to toe with Martian Manhunter, uh, strength wise. So right. that's, um, that's an, another odd omission. Yep. And then, okay, uh, Professor Amos Fortune, then Felix Faust, of course. We're not yet to the magic source book, but they're starting to think about, hey, wouldn't it be interesting to have a ritual magic system to make rituals? Hmm. It appears in the magic source book, and here he's got spell books, and then they go on about uh, these ancient tomes contain every imaginable power. Faust is such, has a you know that whole collection, and then he can sort of do mimic some powers with rituals, but there's no rules for rituals. And of course, after him, there's Abnegazar, Wrath, and Gas, the, the th- demons three. I, I just want to say regarding and, Felix Faust, as far as I'm concerned, the most powerful mort in the DC universe. People take it every time I say it. Somebody has to write in and say all the times he's appear. No, I don't care, guys. He's a joke. And he continues to be a joke. Is it the hat? It, it's getting his uh, butt handed to him every time, and, and he's just he's a lo- he's, he's like the Dr. Light. He's just a loser. He just loves finger puppets. <laughs> Leave him alone. But when we're talking about the Demons 3, they do go on about how you summon them, and they sort of draw up mm. a little ritual uh, that works within the game system. So, I think we're we've got People thinking about how do we evolve the magic system, especially with all these proto-vertigo books coming out. So Hellblazer was on the way and everything, yep. Yeah, so we're they're starting to think about this. Okay, Dr. Light, the evil one. <laughs> Skip. Correct. Uh, Queen Bee, the, uh, the original Queen Bee. 
which I guess is still in continuity, according to this book. That's my big note. I didn't realize she was still in post-crisis continuity. <laughs> there must have been a reference to her somehow. That some accidentally brought her back, I guess. And that same montage with Starbreaker, although Starbreaker doesn't get a page. And she's very much a Silver Age character, immobile until she can suck enough kinetic energy out of her opponents. You know, it's like another crazy weakness. And then we've got the the key, you know, another smart guy who um, tries to manipulate the league. There's a lot of that going around. Uh, Royal Flush Gang. This is nice. I like this group. Yeah, and they've appeared in the, the Bwahaha Justice League yeah. as well. They're a good all-around... You can throw them against your heroes, maybe in the teaser of your story. And, and this is the kind of group that, like, when I think of classic Justice League villains, you get a Mazo, you get the Royal Flush Gang. These are guys who, like, in Despero, who deserve to be, you know credible threats even though they can be kind of gimmicky as long as you give them enough you know weaponry it works yeah i thought what they did to them in batman beyond was quite good because they actually do work as batman villains hmm yeah they could cards and you know there's something to the motif that works well with batman but since they're a group and you know works well with the just league as well uh shaggy man Woo-hoo! is next my namesake not really <laughs> There's no relation. Well, Shaggy Man, I do like how here uh, they give him this miscellaneous ability where uh, after two phases after he's been attacked, he starts to develop a resistance to that attack. And they give you statistically, you know, mechanics of the game how to do that, which is cool because uh, that's always his always his power, which is, you know, you attack him and next time you try to attack him the same way, he's, he can defend against it. You know, like the Borg. And it's yeah. well modeled. Tio Moro, the father of the Red Tornado, so he's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> But he's uh, yet another smart scientist who, you know, tried to test himself against the League. The Injustice Gang of the World, which is um, a fine reason to put some Batman villains in here. Right. <laughs> like we haven't had these in uh, several books before. But it includes uh, Libra, who, of course, you know, only exists in the context of the Injustice Gang. Uh, until Final Crisis. You know, he's still an assembler of villains. Yeah. Okay. Kronos, Mirror Master, Poison Ivy, who else is in here? Scarecrow, the Shadow Thief, Abracadabra yeah, was a member so. of the... Tattooed Man as well. Uh, Tattooed Man for sure. And I think he's the more interesting of, of the characters. You know, he's got miscellaneous way to work his animate image. They've got to be on his body, and then they actually give sample tattoos and the powers they might have. So this is the kind of character I would want to play. <laughs> okay. you got to pick the weird ones, buddy. <laughs> and then the Construct, which was um, the Red Tornado's nemesis. This is what I call him. He's the villain in the Red Tornado miniseries. Okay. <laughs> but he's also a part of just of JLI history. Justice League International history? Yes, because uh, isn't he um, issue 11, 12, the big hand? Oh, well, isn't okay. The, You're, yeah. The he satellite. does. He yeah, does. You know, the, oh, gosh. You know, I, I have to read it in the next month for the episode of the show. And maybe they do act... The, the Construct isn't the big bad guy, but maybe the big bad guy does use the Constructs um, to attack. I, I gotta reread it. I, gotta, I don't know. In the most recent appearance, the Construct functioned as a pawn of the supercomputer built by the new god known as Mitron that prompted Maxwell Lord to involve himself. Anyway, uh, okay, so go. yeah. Good point. So, that's, so that makes a nice transition, because the next group fits squarely in both Classic JLA and Justice League International, which is the Champions of Angor, which was basically... The, 
Um, well, I'll tell you the character names first. It's uh, Wangina, Silver Sorceress, Blue Jay, Captain Speed, or Jack Be Quick, uh, the Bowman, and um, they are basically DC's version of the Avengers. There was this pseudo-crossover in the, the 1970s or 60s, I don't remember which, where the people writing the Avengers had the Squadron Supreme appear in their comic of the same month, which is basically Avengers versus Justice League. And Justice League writers returned the favor by creating the champions of Angor, which were basically the Avengers. So the Justice League fought the Avengers. And that was this cute little multi-crossover. Well, it pretty much got wiped out of continuity until Justice League International brought back some of these characters. And then it became even more in continuity when they brought the extremists in, because then they had to deal with more of that. So um, right. that's kind of where they fit. But ev- eventually, really what comes out of this is uh, Blue Jay and Silver Sorcerers do join the Justice League International, actually. So so we've got the bonus Justice Leaguers yes. here. That's true. Silver Sorceress is uh, really Scarlet Witch. Oh, yeah. I failed a mission. Yep. Yeah. Uh, because I like the way that her... I mean, she's called the Silver Sorceress, and she is neither silver nor a sorceress. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because, you know, she's dressed as, like, she's got, like, this gold suit. It really looks more gold. Golden brown. Yep. Yeah, and um, and she doesn't have, like, a sorcery power, per se. She's got dumb luck. And it, this is basically Scarlet Witch and her hexes. Exactly. Manipulating probability. So she's very much the Scarlet Witch here. Blue Jay is... And energy yellow jacket, somewhere, you know, hybrid. Yeah, somewhere between there. Yep. Yeah, Wanjina's Thor. The Bowman is Hawkeye. And Captain Speed, Jagby Quick, is... Um, Quicksilver. Absolutely. And then there's also a zombie Thor. While Wangino was an animated corpse, his int oh, will... Oh, right there, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they tell you how to make him a zombie. Yeah, there was that point where uh, Bialya uh, was, was using him. It was, oh, it was horrible. I don't mean horrible bad comic. It was just it was very sad for that character. So All right. Yes. Uh, up next is The Gray Man, which, of course, was from a, a major storyline, which led into the international era of Justice League. And uh, he's really a force of lord, Lords of Order. And then you get uh, Ruman Harjavati, which is interesting because he, he's not—he's a villain, I suppose, but he's basically just a dictator of this small country. But I do like how he has the uh, drawback of unluck, which sort of makes sense. He eventually gets killed by the Queen Bee. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of <laughs> Justice League International villains have unluck. <laughs> they should. <laughs> it's a drinking game. It's like these were losers before. They're losers now. You know, they're really down on their luck all the time, and they can't win. And it's part of the comedy. It's what works so well. I mean, the character is hysterical. You know, they should also had a drawback about his English, uh, which is just <laughs> just <laughs> broken English is hysterical. Uh, then you get into manga con who was this, you know, really, really powerful guy who would travel from uh, cosmos to cosmos and do bartering and stuff. It's fun stuff, but they include stats for Elrond, who goes on to be a major player in the Justice League down the line. Probably one of my favorite characters from the series. You love Elrond? Yeah, he's great. He did. Uh, the only thing I don't like about Elrond is he totally like supplanted Oberon, and that, that makes me sad. They talk about how he kidnapped Mr. Miracle, and I do like this. It's worth mentioning, because they took Mr. Miracle to go hawk a cleaning spray around the galaxy called Miracle Mister, which is just so funny. And they have to talk about how he's actually made of a gas and he's inhabiting this metal suit so they talk about his gas form and his suits and stuff like that and he has an irrational attraction to talking out loud to himself which is hilarious because if you know the character he's always doing that and Elrond's always having to remind him sir you're shouting again and he's he's got that power he's got shouting that's right that's my my favorite thing about this book is that it introduced the power shouting 
which is, <laughs> which is basically an, the ability to go on and on, and other characters have to let you do it. It's monologuing. You know, Doctor Doom has shouting twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. Probably true. Uh, they have to let you basically expose your plan. This <laughs> what would happen. I love that. I love that kind of comic booky stuff, even if it's jokey here. But you know, I love it when it gets very, very comic booky. That's great. <laughs> Um, up next is Queen B2, and big thing with her is hypnotism. The only thing I want to mention there is this is another example of the sanitation of this book, because uh, one of her shticks is hypnotizing people and making them basically her sex slave. You know, whether it be just romantically they're in love with her and do everything she says, or whether she physically uses them, that's a big thing with this character. And it, they sanitized it pretty cleanly here. She's got attractive and all that, and hypnotism, but they don't talk anything about that other stuff. Up next is Jack-O-Lantern, and uh, they should probably have the disadvantage of him being a love slave of the Queen Bee. But Then you get the Injustice League, which is hilarious. You know, a lot of times when people try and create a funny group of bad guys that are losers, it doesn't work. It's so worked with these Injustice League guys. Uh, in the invasion crossover, and then subsequent, and, uh, they are so funny. You know, these, I assume most of these guys have unluck, probably as well. I would assume. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, they, they were the Justice League Antarctica at one point. A lot of them have the the, the occupation of criminal and loser. You know, the characters are Major Disaster, Clue Master, Clock King, Big Sir, Multi Man, and the Amazing Bruce. They also include Scarlet Skier. He was part of Justice League Antarctica. And uh, I do like with Major Disaster how they use the powers to simulate disasters. It's a clever way to do it. And then Big Sir. One thing most people especially in the funny era that they don't remember about Big Sur, is that he beat Barry Allen nearly to death. And that is something people forget about all the time. And uh, he's pretty scary, you know? He's got a great motivation. Blissful ignorance. Aw, bless him. That's so sweet. <laughs> and then uh, the amazing Bruce, by the way, is listed as mascot. He's this guy they met in jail who hangs out with them, who, who does their computer stuff. Yeah. Sadly, this is a perfect example of how pathetic they are. His, he, he's their technology guy. He has a gadgetry of only four. Adequate. I think they only fell down on Multiman. Multiman, when he dies, he's reborn with different powers, and that's not here at all. There's nothing to that. They don't mention it. They don't talk about it. But you know, it never happens during the Justice League run. It just. But that was his power in the Challengers. Anyway, how funny! I completely forgot about that. <laughs> Because you're right, the Justice League International doesn't do it. He's just really uptight in this. So uh, You get the Scarlet Skier, which is a Silver Surfer parody who hates Nort. Then you get Killer Penguins. I'm really shocked they took the time to put the Killer Penguins in here and stat them up uh, from the Justice League Antarctica story. But hey, you know, why not? And uh, if I remember correctly, I believe our buddy and co-founder of this network, Rob Kelly, uh, inked one panel in the Justice League Antarctica issue, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Then you I get a fairly that. lengthy section, which is, well, I guess it's two pages, on the, it's almost like their own chapter, it looks like, but on the extremists who are bad guys who fought the Justice League Europe. And, and that was happening almost concurrently with when this book was being done, was the, the battle with the extremists. And they were pretty major villains. I don't know that they came off as good as they intended them to, but either way, um, it's Dream Slayer, Dr. Diehard, Lord Havoc, Tracer, and Carney. They would show up. And, you know, it's a testament to them, I suppose, that they did manage to hang around for a number of years. In fact, they, uh, they even played a pretty big role in, was Countdown to Final Crisis, you know, in around 2005? I mean, that was, uh, mm-hmm. or 2007, whatever. That was a pretty big deal, so they, uh, they did manage to hang yeah. around. And they're copies of Dormammu, Dr. Doom, Dr. Octopus... Magneto, right? Holy crap. 25 years ago, I read those comics, and never once until this moment did I realize that. (laughs) Holy (laughs) crap! 
Well, yeah, they're from the, oh the fake gosh. Marvel Earth. Of course they are. Dream Slayer is right? absolutely Dream Slayer no uh, Dr. Die Hard is gadgetry, weaponry, what is it, costume, energy blast, oh, magnetic no. control. And then Gorgon is Dr. Octopus. Okay, yep, Lord Havoc is definitely Dr. Doom. Tracer is Sabretooth. Really Sabre. Okay, that would make sense. And then yep. Carney is, that. that's more of a, uh, that's, that's Walt Disney. Disney. Yeah. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, my gosh. Wow, you have schooled me. I have been Ciscoided. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how much there is more to talk about in this book, but let's let's go through this quickly. So, next chapter is headquarters. What you got there, buddy? Well, uh, not much. I mean, we've uh, we've seen many. We actually seen some of these maps in um, before in uh, Who's Who or uh, other modules. I think there's the Just League Satellite Siege. Uh, yeah, from Siege. Except in Siege, you get all these fold-out maps, and here they're <laughs> all like tiny circles. Representing each of the, uh, the the stories, uh, the secret sanctuary is more of a cutout with a few rooms laid out uh, as maps, and then uh, and then it's uh, oh yeah the bunker. No, there's not a map for the bunker. Sad because that's the one that I really wanted to see a map of, and then you get your Justice League embassies. I like the idea of the embassies in the in the sense that that would make a good campaign setup. Just take that layout, be an embassy. There, there's like examples for uh, the Saudi Arabian embassy. Okay, well, just pick a country, pick your city, wherever you live, put an embassy there, put some superheroes in there, and you've got you know the maps and the layouts and the look of it and the equipment of it. Creates like your own little setup for your own franchise. We're going to be uh, Justice League uh, Liechtenstein, you know, or something like that. Now, um, <laughs> I will say, at first I was flipping through this, I thought it was sort of ridiculous. Uh, the maps of the embassies, like, this is the bathroom. Like, really? Come on. Uh, and then I got to the Saudi Arabia embassy, and I was like, what? Why is this in here? And then I read the text, which I should have started with. But, of course, you know, I'm like anybody. I just skipped to the end. Uh, turns out the Saudi Arabian embassy is in here for a specific reason. Mayfair actually ran a contest asking people to design various embassies. And so this design is from someone who entered a contest. This is the winner's design. It's appearing in the book. And they specifically say this should not be considered part of JLI continuity, but it's just part of this fun contest we did, which is actually really cool. Yeah, they've got little adventure ideas where uh, they might face the jihad because of the proximity to Kurak and Bialya, you know, it, it's, yeah. It's pretty neat. Then we get to uh, Justice League Gadgets, and uh, just running through these, I mean, you get the, the various signal devices, there's a bunch of different ones, radios, and then you get to, like, their spacesuits, their aircrafts, their security systems, which really, again, comes from that Animal Man issue, which is, I just love that issue. And then the Justice League Transporters, I got an issue with that. Weren't they called teleporters? Because transporters is a Star Trek thing. No, I think you're right. I don't like that. Someone's playing with the terminology there. It's a minor nuance thing, but still. Then you get all the green arrows, trick arrows that we talked about earlier. And then those new powers, advantages yeah. and drawbacks that we mostly talked about. Yeah, the only one we really didn't talk about was Arch Enemy, which is like so obvious, I'm kind of shocked it didn't appear in the book before now. Yeah. One thing I'd like to mention about the vibe power, the way it's written up, the last sentence is, uh, is like the example, it says... Vibe had the Vibe power before he was killed by Professor Ivo. It was after he was killed. He no longer had the Vibe power, apparently. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> Not very well put. Yep. <laughs> now, uh, it's worth mentioning other Justice League Mayfair books. Do you want to take us through those? So, yes, there are from both editions of the game, there are Justice League-related uh, books and adventures. So the adventures are a Siege for first edition, and that's the JLA satellite-era module that uh, basically has people invade the satellite. Uh, the second edition box set comes with a short adventure that I love and that I've played several times called Exposed, uh, which is sort of a sequel to Millennium. And 
a thousand times better than that. You know, I've I've never read it, and I'm thinking now with my JLI podcast, I, maybe I need to do to read it. Now, not for the role playing aspect of it, but the story. It's fun. It's it's great fun. It's the kind of thing I would want. Uh, if we ever did a podcast where we're actually playing, mm-hmm. that's what I would run the characters through. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. When a stranger calls for Just League International is sort of a mystical adventure. Phantom Stranger shows up, and it's, it's more of a early JLI story. Adventurous then. Yes, less humorous. Although it does, it does start with a basketball sequence. So, <laughs> come on down for Just League Europe is a sequel to Exposed. Oh, things that happen in Exposed and then are revisited in Come On Down, which is basically has the Justice League uh, go through a game show. Is it with Manga Khan? I think maybe Manga Khan is the host of the game show. <laughs> okay, and it's got some quirky mechanics to it and some like dexterity challenges for the players. It's it's quite fun. <laughs> and then for the more serious uh, Justice League player, uh, there's a big, thick module called World in the Balance, uh, which has both the JLA and the JLE, so you get, you get to play the two parts of it. Uh, the you, you get to play an, an American side and then the Europe side, more or less, during like a little later era after breakdowns. And I think that's it. Obviously, several members of the Justice League have their own modules and source books because you know they're big name heroes. It's the, it's the DC Universe's biggest team. I, I remember well the the Nort handbook. That was really well received. Very <laughs> yeah, rare. Hard to find. Hard to find. Good luck finding those. <laughs> well, with that, why don't we take a quick podcast promo break where we'll play a couple of commercials for our friends, and when we come back, we will do your listener feedback from. A year ago, so from the past. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. Because you demanded it. It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Justice League International, Bwahaha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis will be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate, Black Canary, Fire, Ice, Maxwell Lord, Oberon, Captain Marvel, Rocket Red, Captain Adam, Mister Miracle, Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Nort, and many, many more. Justice League International, Blahaha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And we want to ask you an important question. Are you sick and tired of other panel discussion shows wasting your time droning on and on about foreign policy, economics, and human rights? Or do you want to hear conversations about things that actually matter? We host a podcast called Radio vs. the Martians. Every month we gather a panel of our nation's finest minds and plunge a rusty prison shank into the heart of tough questions that have an impact on the lives of real people like you. 
Like, are drivers required to pull over for the Ghostbusters? Is the United Federation of Planets actually an oppressive dictatorship run by guidance counselors? Is Arnold Schwarzenegger secretly a genius? And are we being mean when we laugh at movies that are so bad they're good? So write your congressman and let them know that Radio vs. the Martians is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on RadioVsTheMartians.com. And we're back, and now we're going to cover your listener feedback from Hero Points episode number three. First thing we want to touch on is some iTunes reviews. As we mentioned, the show is now on iTunes as its own feed, so you can subscribe just to this show and get one once a year or so. But uh, if you don't mind going out there, if you enjoy the show, go and leave us an iTunes review. They do help people find the show. So giving some shout-outs to our friends that have written iTunes reviews, Rob Kelly from the Fire and Water Podcast Network does shows like Film and Water Podcast, Treasury Cast, Pod Dylan, Firestorm and Aquaman, Who's Who, Aquaman Shrine, etc., and does a bunch of other stuff. He's my podcasting life mate. He wrote a great show for RPG fans. Host Shag and Siskoid know their RPG stuff and let the geek flag fly. A fun show for all those who remember and enjoy those classic games. Great podcast. Well, thank you, Rob. We appreciate that. Then we got one from Chris Franklin, also from the network, and Supermates podcast and Power Records podcast and the Batman Nightcast podcast. He says, a column shift of lively discussion. Even if you've never rolled a 20-sided die, you can enjoy this podcast, where hosts Shag and Siskoid take you through the various releases in the classic DC role-playing game, from the original box set to the source books and beyond. If it was part of the game, it will be covered here, with the usual twinkle in the eye you expect from the Firewater podcast crew. Chris, we sincerely appreciate that. However, we're going to have to give you uh, a negative column shift for saying 20-sided die. Sorry, sir. <clears throat> they were 10-sided dies. Ooh, so embarrassing. Drawback. Especially after he went all to all that trouble to say column shift. Right? I know. He did, he did his research. So give him credit for that. Oh, well. Uh, i tell you what, Cindy, if you do me a favor, give Chris a big punch on the arm and we'll call it even. So there uh, then we heard from Gene Hendricks from the Hammer Strikes podcast uh, and a blog of the same name. He also does the Legends of the Superheroes podcast, Quantum Cast, and a lot more of it, Two True Freaks. He says, love it! The DC RPG is one of the great role-playing systems that I never played. Oh, I always wanted to, and I even own a bunch of the books, but I never got a chance to play it. Hearing Shag and Siskoi talk about it, though, uh, makes me want to dig all of that stuff out again. Heck, I did when they were doing the Atlas of the DC Universe episode that we did. This is well worth the games, even if you don't use this system. Awesome. Thank you, Gene. We appreciate that. And then we have uh, Leslie Trigg, who says, uh, it is worth the listen when it finally comes out. <laughs> we'll own that. <laughs> that was we'll a own great that, comment. Leslie. Now, to be oh, fair, yeah. I think Leslie was trying to earn that uh, Secret Origins uh, contest prize by doing a bunch of reviews for the network. But anyway. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Uh, Matthew Thomas Cody, man brave enough to cut his hair like Guy Gardner. What is I'm this? I'm not kidding. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> Yeah, this I put that Matthew mm. writes in quite frequently to the JLI podcast, and he actually, for Halloween, when is Guy Gardner? He, he's gotten his hair cut as Guy Gardner. He is a diehard fan. Wow. Well, he says, come out and play. You might think a podcast about the DC role-playing game for the, from the 80s is a pretty nerdy endeavor. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> After listening to an episode, I do feel like I missed out on this phenomenon. The hosts obviously have passion for the game, and the source books sound like great resources for DC at the time. I would play. Let your freak flags fly. Very hard to say for me. Uh, thanks, That's man. That's going to do it for our iTunes reviews. Now, uh, we did get a few comments uh, when we were announcing Episode 3. We got, in anticipation, got some funny ones. Uh, Andy Capellish said, I just peed a little. Uh, Gene Hendricks, uh, he said, looks like 2016 starting off right. And Aaron Bias said, save versus incredulity. <laughs> 
which is hilarious. <laughs> and then we've received some gentle teasing in anticipation of this episode. Just name-checking some folks. Aaron Head Moss, uh, J. David Weider, Professor Alan Middleton, Gordon Tolt, and David Ace Gutierrez has all given us a hard time about the uh, infrequency of this show. But to be, you know, to our credit, it hasn't pod-faded. It's just an annual event. It's like the Oscars. There it is. Oh, that's a nice analogy. Yeah. Or the Super Bowl. Whatever that is. Nerd. And then the rest of the comments are, uh, am I right to say, are on fireandwaterpodcast.com? Lots of places. Uh, these came from fireandwaterpodcast.com. They came from emails that were sent to us, uh, Twitter, Facebook, lots of different places that I, I found comments of the show and kind of compiled them all just for us to, uh, for, to cover. So join the conversation, folks. Here is a sampling. First from Dr. Ange. Uh, the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary, and, of course, the Legion of Super Bloggers, of which I am also a member. Uh, he says, love these shows, as I was a big DCRPG player during college. We had two teams going, and depending on mood, played one versus the other. One was a more JLA-style team, where I played Wildfire, and the other was a street-level one where I played Constantine. And then he hopes the Legion stuff gets covered at some point. It's quite possible. We may get to that, but... Uh... If you're a Legion fan, you should check out the Who's Who podcast. We're about to start Who's Who in the Legion. We heard from our buddy Chris Franklin again, who uh, gave us an iTunes review, already mentioned him, but he goes, I never had any of the adventure modules. Because uh, episode three, by the way, was about adventure modules. We had done introductory adventure modules, is what we covered. So that's what a lot of these comments are about. Right. So I never had any adventure modules. I tried to get into gaming session going with my friends, and we never made it out of the setup, as Shag described. I believe it was the Titans adventure that came with the box set itself. I remember seeing the modules at the first comic shop I ever visited, the Comic Connection in Lexington, Kentucky, and being really tempted to buy them, even though I knew I wouldn't find anyone who would devote time to playing them. Man, I sound pathetic. Yes, Chris. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes, the amorphous state of DC continuity in the immediate post-crisis era is really showing here. Not only do we have Brainiac and his skull ship moments before they're white from continuity, at least for a bit, but you had the bug-eyed bandit who died in the crisis. That's a bit of a slip-up, but maybe these things were in development longer than we thought. Tim Wallace of Court Industries Blog and the upcoming Beatlemania podcast says, uh, way back when I played, it's been a few years since the group I used to RPG with got together, I GM'd the DC games. We only used the module and pre-made DC characters once, the first time we played. After that, they wanted to create their own, and I wanted to try my hand at creating scenarios. I still bought the modules, just focused on the ones that featured heroes or villains I liked. Operation Atlantis, Bell Rave, Hex, Escort to Hell, to name a few or that I thought I could use down the road at some point. They were great resources, and I still have nearly all of them. Modules, source books, the Atlas, even the box sets for first and second editions of the game. <laughs> then we heard from Ryan Daly, who's also with the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does shows like The Power of Fishnets, Give Me Those Star Wars, It's Midnight the Podcasting Hour, Nightcast, and he's the only person in real life that I know that has the shouting power. Uh, he, go- he says the, the new Star Wars, because we talked about uh, adventure modules not being commonplace anymore. He says the new Star Wars role-playing game by Fantasy Flight Games has been publishing a ton of pre-generated adventure modules for its Star Wars game. That's awesome. That's great to hear those things are still out there. Jay Jones of the Silver and Gold Podcast Network, uh, Captain Adam Blog, Beatlemania, says, One of the things we liked to do was a game we called War World. We'd shuffle the deck of pre-printed character cards, like 
that are in the second edition box uh, that came with the game, and then fight one hero slash villain at a time. It was great fun when we pulled up a penguin or a robin, but not so easy when we drew Superman or Darkseid. Yeah, that's a clever idea. I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, good way to use those cards. Yeah, absolutely. Then we heard from Dale Russell. He gets, says, love the Hero Point show. And he sent me an email with a, uh, a, a role-playing game character sheet. Uh, it was actually Firestorm. He had statted up for a new superhero RPG called Supers. Now, I don't know if that's different from the uh, Steve Jackson Supers, because that's certainly not new at this point. But either way, he, he sent up a Firestorm statted up, which I thought was really cool. Thank you, Dale. Then I heard from Brandon Oakley. And I had mentioned earlier those... Uh, Newsletters, the quarterly newsletters that came out from Mayfair, they would mail out and literally would just put an envelope and mail it to you. He contacted me privately about that, was asking if I had copies of them. And in fact, folks, I do. I have scans now of seven of these newsletters. If you have any of the newsletters, please get in touch with me. I would love to sort of collect as many of the scans of these things as we can and uh, be able to share them with people because there's, it's not something you can find. I, like, I've never seen them on eBay. I've never seen them anywhere else. It's just in somebody's collection somewhere like I have mine. So, I, like I said, I have scans of seven of them and they're really interesting reading. They're a nice time capsule if you're a fan of this stuff. So, get in touch. Uh, then we have Bradley Null, who says the Titans and Outsiders being used as the base power level of the modules is interesting to me. When my RPG group transitioned from Champions to GURP Supers, we had discussions about the best power level for super teams in RPGs. The term we coined for a well-balanced team was X-Titansiders, <laughs> a name that gets two-thirds of uh, itself from those two teams. The X is, is for extra. Is it? <laughs> it's, X, it's X hyphen. I don't know. I think I know where that's coming from. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like these groups of characters that the Titans, the Outsiders, they look and feel a lot like the group you might assemble around a table. Well, yeah, because the thing about the Titans and the Outsiders, they were all, well, for the most part, pre-existing characters. And there's no connectivity between them. It's not like... Uh, the X-Men, who were all created at the same time, where they're all mutants and there's some similarities, and they're, you know, each one of the Titans and the Outsiders all have completely varied backgrounds, you know, and they, they feel like a hodgepodge of characters. Sort of like, a, you know, to, to follow that path way down the line, Primal Force, which was a collection of characters that yeah. pre existed and they, they're misfits the way they fit together, and that one unfortunately didn't take. Um, I still like it, but anyway. But yeah, that's it. I want to play a samurai chick, and I want to play a, a guy who throws lightning bolts, and I want to play, you know, I don't play Batman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Cisco, you'll be happy to know, I'm actually reading the uh, Outsiders Showcase Edition, you know, like the 500-page telephone sure. book of Outsiders, and I'm on, like, a issue, yep. I don't know, six, seven, eight, somewhere in like that of Outsiders. I'm really enjoying it. I, uh, it's a lot of, I mean, it's very Bronze age kind of stuff, but it's fun. Maybe it gets worse as it goes, I don't know. Then we, uh, we heard again from Gene Hendricks, we already mentioned him in the uh, iTunes stuff. He says, I've always wanted to play the DC RPG. I actually own two editions of the rules and several source books, but I never had a chance to play. Uh, I did even have some of the adventure modules, and I have to agree with Shag... Uh, that, that sentence should be repeated more often than you'd think, but anyways, having played the Marvel R- so he goes, I agree, so I, having played the Marvel RPG all the way through middle and high school, the DC modules always seem to be written better. Take that, Dr. Genealogy. Uh, and then Gene goes on to say, <laughs> of course, we wrote our own adventures, mainly because there weren't many prefab ones that would have worked for the South Jersey Avengers for some reason. <laughs> Them are the Great Lake Avengers, I suppose. Now, there's a low-powered campaign. (laughs) 
Boston Moss says, uh, next time you guys do this, you may want to give a shout-out to writeups.org, which has a lot of characters in those game stats that were not published. I know Siskoid has a link on his website, but it deserves more mention. Well, we mentioned it at the top of the show, and we mentioned it before on the show. I think we mentioned it every episode, actually. Pretty yeah. much. Pay attention, Boston Moss. <laughs> uh, he also says, I'd be curious about reading Siskoid's stuff on improv, but I cannot read French. Uh, we were talking about a French-language podcast, is what it is, so uh, it's even worse than reading French. You'd have to understand. I mean, you can always use Google Translate to translate French texts to English. Any language to English, actually, Google Translate's pretty well. The opposite doesn't work. This is, is what it is. See, I just pretty much ignore your uh, French language posts on Facebook. I figure I wouldn't understand it anyway. So half of the stuff I write in uh, in, in English as well. So. <laughs> and then we heard from the aforementioned Doctor Geometrology from the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, where they do shows on like Astro City uh, games and like, like we talked about, and even Secret Wars. Oh, I love their Secret Wars podcast so much. And he wrote, uh, "I love all editions of the DC Heroes RPG, but I feel Marvel's Face Rip did things better." And that kicked off a big chain of discussions in what is heading for the big uh, Marvel versus DC role-playing countdown, which we want to happen, but realistically, it might be a while. So, a couple weeks at least. A couple weeks <laughs> or years. But it, it, <laughs> the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So, and you heard from Jonathan Baldridge, and he says, Great podcast. You mentioned there's other podcasts out there that are great for game rules and mechanics. Can you point me to some of those that are specific to DC Heroes RPG? Sadly, uh, Jonathan, I can't. When I said that statement before, uh, I think I was referring more to there's some generic role-playing podcasts which cover a variety of topics, and they have done episodes on DC Heroes that I've heard. Because I, I listened to those and very quickly realized I was way beyond my skill level with uh, the crunch that they were getting into. I, I can't name you any names, I'm sorry, but just do go to iTunes, search for DC Heroes. You'll find the occasional episode here or there. Heard from James Gerritsen, who gave an rounding endorsement for us. He says, listening to this now, and it's actually good. Thank you, James. Really appreciate that. <laughs> Big surprise. Clinton Robinson, uh, my good friend from uh, Coffee and Comics blog, says, it reminds me of the time I tried running this for D&D players. Didn't end well. Freaking power gamers. <laughs> so I imagine the superheroes were, like, looting. Oh, jeez. Yeah, they're checking for traps. <laughs> Who's opening the door first? <laughs> Uh, I heard from Derek Crabb, who does the Fanholes podcast. He says, enjoyed this very much on the way to work this morning. Also wanted to say I'm very much looking forward to this, in, to the Invasion podcast. Awesome. So you're about a year into that. Hope you're enjoying it, buddy. By the way, the Invasion podcast is so freaking good. I, I hate giving you compliments publicly because they just come back to bite me later. But the Invasion podcast is like, I, I don't leave a lot of comments because I don't know really what to say other than I loved it. Uh, but wow, that's a great show. It's so good. You and Boss did a fantastic job. Eh, it's not my favorite. Someone was scripted for you. Anyway, I heard from David Ace Gutierrez. He's the executive producer of the Pod Dylan podcast, and he just said such a great episode. Thank you, David. And I heard from Alexander Osias, who does the Armchair Gamer blog. This is great stuff. I remember owning the Project Prometheus back in the day, but never got to run it. Actually, never really got... Uh, it says I got to play DC Heroes, finally in a series of games when I got back to the Philippines. Awesome. I'm glad you got a chance to play the game. So much fun. Uh, Andy Capellish, who's one of our biggest cheerleaders, goes, Aw, you guys. Great episode. Heard from Martin Gray from Too Dangerous for a Girl. He says, I'm listening to Hero Points Podcast, even though I don't know any RPG from an R2-D2. He says he's listening because he likes me and Siskoid. That's very nice. Thank you, Martin. <laughs> uh, Abel Padilla says uh, he just listened to this again because it ended up in my feed. Okay. Oh, that's right. When we when we launched the network, yeah. So he listened to, the, to it twice. Uh, and still worth listening to as I wait for the next episode. Wow. says, one point to mention about the Brainiac module. If you play the DC Universe Online MMORPG, 
Your first adventure involves your character fighting your way out of Brainiac's ship. It culminates in an appearance by Superman as you work together to clobber Brainiac's robots and save the day. Wow. So that's the plot of, of, you know, that, that, that module. That's crazy. Uh, and he says it, it really had a nice old school comic feel. The game is uh, a lot of fun and features plenty of old school pre new 52 goodness. Uh, he also asks, any chance hero points could adopt a twice a year schedule? We are. If we if we can pull off the uh, Marvel versus DC or get two in 2017, and there are other ways that could you know it could work. We just need to change our lives. What Cisco is saying is, if he dumps me, he'll have more time to do hero points because I'm the holdup. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks for backing that up. You said, it. and then Trey Hooks sent me a, a letter. Asking basically that he found the Hero Points podcast and some questions, particularly for me since I seem to be an active gamer. But right now the tables have turned, really, <laughs> because you're more active in gaming than I am right now. It's I think it's I mean I'm at the end of a two year lull in uh, Oof. in RPGing. Ugh, feels feels awful. Anyway, he says he still loves Shag, but um, you know felt you were more of a lapsed gamer at, the, at that point. Thanks, Trey. I didn't want to talk to you either. <laughs> so he asked me a bunch of questions about it's uh, you know the nitty-gritty of it and choosing games and uh, pros and cons, and it's, it's quite involved and long. So I'm not going to go into it now because I sent back a response uh, which was even longer than the questions. So uh, <laughs> let it be known that I hopefully gave uh, Trey the advice he needed <laughs> at this point. Uh, but thanks for the letter, and thanks for reaching out. Then a uh, quick thanks to DC in the 80s website. Really appreciate it, guys. They gave us a shout-out on their site when they were talking about some old DC Heroes advertising, so much appreciated of that. And then just a quick thanks mm-hmm. to the folks who were kind enough to share the Hero Points podcast on their own social media. That means they actually you know, published a link to it or retweeted or shared, something like that. Just going to run through these fairly quickly. Uh, Keith G. Baker, Icon UK, which was on Tumblr, Dale Russell, Mike Peacock, Rob Kelly, Darren Roos Sutherland, Dr. G of Neurology, Stephen Bird, Michael Wagner, Con L, Kyle Benning, Coffee and Comics Blog, Dr. Ange, Boss, Whole Truthy, Cord Industries, Richard Field, Pietro Blaxamoff, Lucien Dazar, Army of Skanks, I love that, Diablo Frank, The Aquaman Shrine, and Between the Pages, and honestly, there were probably many, many more. However, after a year, it's kind of hard to find and track down shares and retweets, so I'm really sorry for anybody I missed. I apologize. And, uh, folks, that, I think, oof, is going to do it. You know, Siskoid, this was a blast. We should do this more often. Uh, <laughs> just a reminder, folks, if you want to comment on the episode, please go to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com slash hero points, and you can leave all your comments there. That is the best way to get in touch with us, or hit us up on the social medias we talked about earlier. And, uh... Anything you want to say in closing, Mr. Cisco? Uh, well, uh, hopefully, um, we don't have to wait another year. I mean, we're not promising, mo- we're not promising That's... monthly or anything here, folks. We're just saying you might get one more. Don't get greedy. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I, the length these go to, it's, you, you get a lot for that, that one time. That one time is pretty long. <laughs> hey, I had to read a 128 page book to do this, so I was gonna talk about it, by golly. You do what you need to. Alright, with that, I think Cisco, there's only one thing left to say. Yep, let's, let's roll. roll.